Hello, and welcome to episode 298 of the Crate and Crowbar, a PC gaming podcast. It's being recorded on the 10th of October, 2019. I'm Marsh Davis, and I'm joined by Tom. Senior. That's the noise that he makes. <laughs> and Tom. Francis. That's the noise he makes. Ah. Two Toms, one Marsh. Which is an uh, unheimlich image to uh, introduce this. <laughs> We're coming um, up on our 300th episode. Yeah, it's coming. Do, do something close. special. Yeah, we won't though, will we? Nah. <laughs> nah. I did, I did uh, see if Graham was going to be available for it. Oh. Unfortunately, he can't make it. So. Nice. That's a nice thought. Yeah. That's an anti-announcement for you there. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no special appearance. <laughs> yeah. Get excited, guys. Nothing special is going to happen in two weeks' time. But something special is going to happen now. Because we're going to discuss <laughs> PC gaming news. It's been a lot of, wow. a lot of big news this week. Has there? Well, it's, it's, the New York Times has written about it. It's, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of penetrated the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the story of uh, the Hearthstone Pro, who, uh, I think he made a statement about Free Hong Kong uh, on a stream. Uh, I think his winnings were taken away. He's been suspended for a year from competition. And uh, this has caused a lot of uh, sadness on the internet. Even the people interviewing him were fired. <laughs> really? <laughs> people who just were there, like, hosting the thing were fired just for being close to this thing that happened. Yeah. Were and, they meant to intervene and stop it or something? What was the, what they supposed to do? I don't know. Uh, like, yeah, so um, for context, uh, I think about a 40% stake of Blizzard is owned by Tencent, which is a Chinese publisher. If you're going to access the Chinese market, you have to go through a Chinese uh, publisher. Tencent's, I believe, the biggest. Uh, Tencent, own, uh, Tencent owns a stake in loads of games companies, actually, ones that you wouldn't even expect. I think they've got 5% of Paradox, for example. Um, but they're, Blizzard's objectives are very entwined with accessing the Chinese market and making sure their online games are able, like World, World of Warcraft, are able to be published there. Um, and obviously, Hong Kong is an extremely sensitive issue for uh, the Chinese government at the moment. And Tencent, it's thought, it has strong ties to the Chinese government. And, thank you know, uh, the, I mean, join the dots. <laughs> it's kind of quite clear what's happened. It's easy to get into kind of conspiratorial thinking about this sometimes where you might think oh a certain company owns five percent share so they might be calling the shots but in this instance i think it's just quite quite obvious that uh, blizzard has gave into some sort of pressure uh yeah and it might not even be pressure it might just be fear they, pressure. if you know how the chinese government reacts to things and you want to continue operating in china yeah. you just immediately do whatever you you just preemptively they, shut it down and yeah. stop from see from before it even happens and although the the firing of the interviewers as well that feels so much like a, a like a oppressive regime move. It doesn't. It almost. I don't know if this is uh, this is weird speculation, but I feel like if I was someone terrified of uh, an oppressive government and I thought someone had said something in an interview that they would absolutely hate and I had these big action against that person, I wouldn't even think to fire the interviewers. It wouldn't occur to me. <laughs> like yeah. that's so excessive and so uh, you know unfair uh, that it almost feels like that does feel like the action of a um, of a government themselves. It's like everyone is, is tainted by. This this incident, the line has been crossed, and everyone, even in the room, has to be mm. admonished for it. Um, so, it's important to mention this was obviously quite a high level Blizzard decision, and um, Blizzard employees are very distressed about it as well. Uh, I think they they covered up some of the slogans outside of Blizzard headquarters. Yeah, those um, think globally, and every voice matters. Yes, um, someone covered those. Those are like uh, embossed, what's the word? Engraved in metal around this like massive statue oh, yeah. in the Blizzard campus, and mm. um, they were covered up with with paper. So yeah, it's obviously. Um, a lot of people understandably upset about it. Yeah, I've seen quite a few uh, valedictory tweets from um, people who were originally upset that uh, there was going to be a Diablo phone game made. And they're, they're, all, they're now reclaiming that argument as a sort of, see, we told no. you China was bad news. Oh, God. No. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'm was sure really your argument. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an interesting 
story because there's a suite of stories around this which is why places like the new york times will cover this and um huawei the phone company is uh just an obvious example from the last few years uh but also recently the nba has had uh, a spat mm. with like chinese interests as well and um the corporate world's approach to these matters is, is an ongoing story in our world and the mainstream media's world which is quite an interesting rare crossover it's pretty amazing to see uh two i want to say senators but I, I wouldn't know if they're congressmen or whatever um uh, in the US, uh, one Republican and one Democrat both speaking out about this, yeah, about, about the either. Blizzard thing specifically, which is, it's pretty rare that, you know, the game industry drama of the day gets both, A, gets the attention of, of US politicians and then B, uh, on both sides of the aisle, <laughs> uh, coming out against it. Hmm. But, uh, like, how, sorry, how are you dealing with it on PC Gamer? Are you, are you appending articles with information about this? Are you, are you going to boycott Blizzard's games? <laughs> no, obviously not going to boycott their games. Um, um, very carefully is the answer. <laughs> we haven't been sued yet, and so we just kept really reporting on things that we actually know rather than hmm. things that, you know, people will speculate about online. Um, and it, but it's, it's actually fascinating. We've got our reporter Stephen Messner who has loads of stuff on China and is fascinated by the, the, the Chinese gaming market and the interesting pressures on it. Uh, there have been smaller stories, like, for example, I think, uh, Ubisoft, had to, they wanted to change some, uh, Rainbow Six Siege decals and things like that to fall in line with, uh, what would be allowed in China. And there was a backlash from, uh, Western players who saw that as kind of encroachment, cultural encroachment almost, and took offense to it. What uh, kinds of things were being talked about? I can't about? remember specifics. I'd have to go and look at the, mm. the story, but I mean, there are certain kind of, um, like cultural symbols that aren't allowed in China and there's oh, sort of okay. violent pictures of things that aren't allowed as well. Oh, right. I thought you meant when you said decals, my mind went to like bullet holes and things like oh, that that no, are painted no. on the scenery. No, you mean like spray paint like sort of like emblems, right? Yeah, yeah, right, right. So um, nothing like that would change the fundamental way the game works mm. or anything like that, but the symbolic stuff that, that um, censors in China might be interested in changing. Uh, and uh, in the end, I think Ubisoft decided to do, have two tracks of the game, one that was just standard for what everyone expects and a different one for China which is how most I think most developers approach it uh, but it's, it's a fascinating story and it comes from other media as well like Hollywood and or just the big, big, big cinema blockbusters have been um, creating films for Chinese audiences for ages yeah. and um, just adapting the material to make it more understandable to Chinese audiences because it's just such an enormous market and it's just a fascinating interaction between culture and business and how those pressures interact like how capitalism interacts with cultural messaging and that kind of stuff mm. Um, and that's in our world now, so we get to talk about it. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> I feel deeply unqualified to do so. <laughs> same. Yeah, same to be honest, which is scary. As a developer, I'm handling the sensitive situation by already being too lazy to localize my games into any languages. <laughs> just not do you not localize at all? No. Well, that seems to work out okay. <laughs> Problem preemptively solved. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say about it, really, because it's, it, it's just so obvious that what Blizzard has, has done here and they've come under I think more pressure than a backlash than I would have actually expected publicly yeah. from senators as well as players and BlizzCon is coming up and that's going to be very interesting to watch that and see how players organize or heckle or respond or what the atmosphere is going to be like what Blizzard is going to do to address this if at all um, so yeah it's, it's a developing story hmm. and we'll be talking about it for the next few months I think do we, uh, do you want to weigh in on another workplace fiasco that we're completely unqualified to talk about? <laughs> I love too much. <laughs> so us two games, uh, recently parted ways with one of its, uh, developers, and there was a story doing the rounds, seemingly part authored or informed by the union that the, uh, employee belongs to or was trying to belong to, um, suggesting that he had been fired specifically for setting up a union or getting involved in union activities. Because mm. he, he's actually one of the founding members of the Games Workers Unite, uh, right. collective. But, uh, us two games have said, that's not the case. And he was fired for other reasons, which will remain private. 
So there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's accountability, everybody. Transparent operations. There was, they gave, uh, the Games Workers Unite, uh, they are, uh, sort of operating as part of, uh, a larger union organization in the UK whose name I don't have to hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, they gave us to a sort of ultimatum of reinstate this guy by X date or we'll, uh, start legal mm. proceedings and they didn't re- reinstate the guy and so they have now started the legal proceedings they fired a filed a um workplace uh, tribunal case mm. uh there's there's sort of a government system for this and uh the reason that they well they have said um uh publicly games workers unite have that the reason they did this publicly and the reason that they put um uh, pressure on to you know reinstate uh this guy before doing any legal proceedings uh was that now they started this process uh, they, uh, will only, it'll take 25 days for this thing to be processed. And then when they, after it's been processed, they'll then tell us two games and then us two games have 28 days to decide about it. Mm-hmm. And this guy is in the UK on a visa, um, that is dependent on his job. And without the job, he's probably going to be sent home unless he can find some other work or some other solution yeah. there. He has a family so, here as well, right? I mean, he's brought yeah. his family over, I think. And so, uh, Game Workers Unite are, are saying that they're, they fear that us two will just wait it out and just do nothing for as long as possible um, because they don't have to. Um, and by the time it, uh, if he is, you know, uh, deported or, you know, uh, goes home with his own volition because the visa isn't going to work out, uh, that makes it much harder to hmm. make a case. Is it seem like uh, in the article, uh, either the journalist or the union or, or the employee had got hold of what would seem to be like private emails between HR and seniors at the, at the company? Um, essentially saying that they were irritated by his agitating, uh, which they felt wasn't always, uh, he, he was sort of speaking on the behalf of other people more than he should, um, hmm. to advocate for sort of progressive things. Um, and they expressed some irritation at that. I don't know whether, I mean, I don't know whether that was the, the, the reason he was fired. I mean, it, obviously us two disagree with that, but I know I find it, um, I mean, there's no way you can adjudicate on it, but I, I, I think the, uh, the thing that feels quite familiar to me about this is us two's response. Whether, I mean, in us two's defense, they do say they have other employees who are members of unions and they obviously have not fired them. So there's no problem, uh, with being a member of a union that obviously wasn't the cause. But, um, there's something about being a very small company and having quite an informal, uh, relationship with your employees and then thinking that that flat, uh, structure actually genuinely persists when you begin to scale up mm-hmm. and when the founders are super wealthy and the employers super aren't wealthy. <laughs> um, I mean, other employees of us too have come out and said that it's a great company to work for and they yeah, really take care of their staff and this has been distorted. But it's just the way that <laughs> us two describe themselves as a, as a fampany. <laughs> I can't even say it. Um, cause obviously there's a portmanteau family and company. Um, I just, that just doesn't, it never works. Like mm-hmm. when, when you get to a certain size and level of success, there, there are power dynamics at play, which prevent really any kind of flat hierarchy. I don't, I just don't, I just never buy that. Yeah. So I, I, about, I think last month I went to Bordeaux to visit Motion Twin who created uh, Dead Cells. Oh yeah. Uh, and they are a profit share company. Everyone in, uh, in the business takes an equal share of the profits they make. Um, sort of, it's kind of a, a an unusual, French arrangement in French law that you can establish these kind of cooperative companies um, in a different way that you probably couldn't in, in Britain. But uh, what they've done is they've brought a, a bunch of new people in. They're still a small studio, about like 25 people, something like that. Um, 
but the kind of old guard have created our motion twin and they are prototyping for the next project. And then the new people are working on dead cells updates. Um, and what happens is every, it's a flat structure. Everyone's allowed to go up and give comments on anything. So an artist can comment on a piece of design and vice versa. Um, but there's still that just, you can't escape that the hierarchy of seniority of uh, an older founder just has the cachet that makes that they have power. They just, you just innately yeah. have mm. more power than other people in the country. Like a junior person coming up to challenge them about something as much as anyone can say, Oh no, it's all like equitable. It's all, you know, it's all just ideas. The reality of human interaction doesn't work like that. Like, mm. uh, I'm not saying at all that there's an abuse of power in those contexts, but you have to recognize the hierarchy in some, in some way. Yeah. And, and this is why official HR departments are good sometimes because <laughs> yeah. you, a third party to adjudicate is, is necessary. And these, um, especially small companies lack that. There isn't a third party they can go to because everyone is directly reporting to everybody else. Um, which is problematic. Yeah. It seems like it's a, it's a noble goal and a good thing to aim mm. for a, a structure where those power dynamics um, are minimized as much as you can and aren't, aren't sort of formally encoded into your structure. But it would be dangerous to assume that, that well, that's fixed now and we're flat and mm. everyone's equal. Um, because if uh, the if there is a power dynamic and as you say, I think there always will be mm. uh, with seniority and, um, and yeah. that kind of thing. Then it's much worse to not acknowledge it, yeah. and it's not. Oh there. yeah, yeah. It's much sure. better to have a formalized power structure. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I mean, I, when I was at Mojang, we were going through this exact sort of same growth period where the, the company was scaling up from being what was quite an informal indie structure mm. to one that was interfacing with Microsoft, which is a very, very hierarchical structure. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was chaotic for a long period of time because nobody nobody knew whether they were the person to take responsibility for stuff. Responsibility was generally diffuse anyway. <laughs> Job titles weren't very meaningful, and and you really and, in the end, I think uh, it did restructure itself, so there was a qu- quite a clear hierarchy. But it, mm. it was reluctantly and, and too slowly em- embraced, I would think. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I don't know how uh, how it is at us two games. Maybe it's a perfect fanpony. Maybe they exist. <laughs> how does do you get any sense from the motion twin? Like, yeah, how could someone get fired? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, like, if you're a new employee, one of the things you, that probably goes through your head, if you're, if like, someone in a senior position says something you completely disagree with, and mm. a little conversation happens in your head of like, oh, I think I should say something, mm, but should I? And they're a lot more senior than me. And then ultimately, the sort of extreme case of that is like, can I get fired for just being a huge pain in the ass? <laughs> so, hmm, that's a very good question. And the reason I can't answer it is because I'm not aware of the precise employee protections in place in France. I gather right. they're quite strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't think they, you could... Um, but there's also the, there's a lot of very technical problems with the flat, um, profit sharing structure because every time you expand, you dilute the pool, uh, because someone has to buy into, you know, buy shares in the company basically. And they've had to, I think, cap the price of their shares so that the shares aren't so high they can't hire anyone. <laughs> so like, oh, we can hire you if you can pay thousands of pounds yeah. for this. So they've had to cap the price of the shares. So it's, it's a very, it's, it doesn't interface well with, typical capitalist markets like that structure it just seems to have these really thorny problems and they, they, they struggle to expand um which is probably good because as Marsh says like if you if they were to expand to 50 100 people that flat structure would i think you'd start to see the cracks in that and you'd start, start to get loads of problems and I, I often wonder about valve as well and um i think there are about 200 people or something like that in seattle um how and what real power dynamics actually you know exist in that in that studio you know? yeah that's uh thinking about the sort of like who can fire me kind of thing. Mm. I assume if I join Valve and then I like 
really personally pissed off Gabe Newell <laughs> that I would get fired. <laughs> I don't know who exactly would fire me and by what sort of uh, the, the mechanisms would be. Yeah, Take a strong stance would... against knives. Yeah, you'd be oh. able to arrange his knife collection. <laughs> it's, yeah, all, nice. it's all out of that. I think it should be blunt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a spork man myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that the phrase that I've heard them use is peer review and that could mean fucking anything. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's interesting. Mm, there, are, there are cliques in every workplace uh, mm. but without formal structures to cut through them. I think there's... You, some problems there potentially hmm. but that was just speculation what do I know I live in a very hierarchical, hierarchical structural piece again mm-hmm. it's a military outfit <laughs> Phil Savage you're the top dog right <laughs> no no, no? Phil direct me here there and everywhere <laughs> make me tea oh. yes. no, it's not true it's not how it works at all media's very relaxed what have you been playing Tom uh, so I've been playing Indivisible which is from the developers of Skullgirls which is a fighting huh. game that gained a, a cult following it's supposed to be quite a legit fighting game we've not played it Indivisible or inter? Indivisible. 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 Um, And this is a kind of Metroidvania structure. uh, It's got like platforming and, uh, but combat is the sort of thing where you bump into an enemy, then you go into, it zooms in and uh, you're in a kind of real time party combat system where each button corresponds to a member of your party and you press them uh, to trigger their attacks, and you create combos that way, uh, using the various different timings of what, what the characters can do. Um, the party exists in your head. You meet people <laughs> on the road and absorb them into your brain, <laughs> and they are surprisingly cool with that. <laughs> uh, and then whenever you're in combat, they pop out like Pokemon, and you sort of, you can stop, you can use them to hit stuff. Uh, looks great. It's all like, ha- loads of hand-drawn animation for the sprites, uh, loads of kind of really cool, unusual design for the characters and, and your kind of party. Um, and it's in a really beautiful, you do 2D sprites on a 3D environment and it's just beautifully art directed. It's really colorful and, and mm. sumptuous and the color palette just changes as you go to different areas. Uh, it's a very average kind of Metroidvania. It's really basic stuff. It's like you find an axe and then, oh, you chop through trees. And there's no, the levels aren't designed like very, in a very interesting way. Mm. In a way that, you know, there aren't secrets and sort of corridors and strange things you could discover. Like there's a really good one like Axiom Verge. It's like that. There's a real thrill to getting around the place. Um, it's not really like that. It's, it feels more like Ori in the Blind Forest and that you're just d- dashing and wall jumping and getting around the place. Um, but the writing is horrible. Oh no. <laughs> I had to stop playing because it was just, I just <laughs> couldn't take it anymore. It was, oh. What kind of horrible? Oh boy. Okay. So <laughs> the very first, okay. So spoilers for Indivisible coming up for the first 10 minutes of the game. And it only takes 10 minutes barely to get through this, uh, by the way. Uh, so you, you go up to a training ground and you meet your dad. Um, and, you just have an absolutely absurd conversation with him where he's trying to train you and he sort of punches you a few times and you're like, I'm annoyed by that. Um, there's <laughs> uh, something that your main character says. Um, it's, ah, oh, it's so painful. <laughs> <laughs> do, do they say fampany? <laughs> I don't say fampany. It doesn't quite go, it doesn't quite go that bad. Um, uh, as he tells her to calm down. Uh, and she says something like, no, I'm calming the hell up. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What does that mean? I know. I know. Does she mean she's getting calmer or less calmer? <laughs> yeah, but I'm just going into tremors and spasms. It's like, what is language anymore? Uh, and there's loads of examples of just absolutely bizarre, painful lines in it. Um, so her dad, after the argument, she starts talking about like her mum's axe. And like, what? And then it turns out her mum's dead. And she's like, tell me about her axe. And he's like, no. And then he slides with no animation off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, oh, I suppose I should go apologise. And so you do some uh, platforming for about 20 seconds down to your village, which is, of course, has been set on fire by the, right. the villain of the piece. It's the uh-huh. fucking... Oh, so it's an RPG. It's, yes, <laughs> it's the same fucking sequence. Um, and your dad's dead. 
And she's just like completely indifferent. It's just well, this because she's calmed the hell up, Tom. She's calmed the hell up. I mean, they foreshadowed that really, really efficiently. It's, this is like twelve seconds apart. It's argument with him being dead. It's like that you've only just met the dad character, and suddenly he's lying on the floor, and she's sort of sad about it, but not in any convincing way. And then she has an absurd fight and says off with um, the the villain who's burned the place down. Uh, mm. and the villain gets sucked into her brain. Um, and then she comes out of the fight and she looks at her dad and she's lying dead on the floor in the middle of this burning village. And she says, well, I suppose I'd better bury dad. <laughs> oh my God. And then it's just utterly like, it's psychopathic. It's just the lack of care for the, her entire childhood village is burned down. And is it, is it meant to go for like flippant sort of, you know, humor, like the, too too cool for school kind of it's thing. Not self aware. Like, oh. so, so later on, like I think they've gone for a light hearted bantery tone. So the, mm. the characters in your head will sort of banter with you and come up, and uh, that stuff kind of works. Really, that's fine. But don't open the game with your family dying and having a dead mother and having all your childhood village burned down and have your character not react at all to that in any convincing way. Because, like, like who the fuck am I controlling? Like, does anything matter in this world if my own fucking family and village doesn't matter? Uh, and then it's just it's so annoying because it's beautiful. Like, loads of effort's gone into it. And it's, it's interesting. Like, the comment system is really interesting. I do, you've got loads of Pokemon in your head that you can kind of rearrange and put into your party. Um, the animation's really cool. And then, oh, but ev- ev- almost every other interaction is just excruciating mm. and, and, and soulless and weird. <laughs> uh, the voice actors have to, they, they do quite a good job to be honest. Like they have to work so hard with the, the material, mm. um, and they, I think they they go they realise it's supposed to be sort of light hearted bantery script. But I just wish that they hadn't put the story in the game. <laughs> just wish they hadn't. Oh, if, they, if it had started and you're just going from left to right <laughs> through the world. I'd, I'd be still be playing it. <laughs> the fact that they open with this, like, it's just made me so angry. And also, they keep on doing dialogue sequences that are terrible and get in the way of all the fun. And I can't engage with any of the systems because I'm just like, oh, I've got to listen to some fresh bullshit from this character man. <laughs> and he's, oh, what does he want? Oh, he wants me to pull up healing plants and collect six of them. But it's just written so awkwardly, like a human would never say it. <laughs> how how fast can you skip through this dialogue stuff? Um, so some of it is like it's a mix of like pre-baked videos that you can skip by holding down the B button. Um, a bunch of it you can skip through um, by just tapping B through conversations and stuff. Occasionally you can't for, I imagine, loading reasons or something. Um, so you could, but I don't think that's good enough. <laughs> I think, I think it sh- if you're going to put all of this front-loaded information and exposition and dialogue, just has to be palatable. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just hiding the best parts of the game behind a barrier that you have to click through. Yeah. Which is really disappointing. It's actually, I'd really forward to it because it looks, the art's really spectacular. Yeah, I've been following it for ages. Um, and I think it, I, I read the Steam reviews and it came out and it's, um, I think it's had not like a, I think it's like mostly positive. Reception. It's about seven out of ten. Yeah. yeah. From what I was looking at earlier. Um, yeah. but I, a lot of the reviews mentioned writing. Um, and also, uh, it just sort of, from what all their comments, it kind of didn't sound like my kind of game, and so I'm probably not going to play it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it does look absolutely gorgeous. I didn't realize it was the Skullgirls people. I think it is. Yeah, it makes sense though because that, that game is also really impressive visually. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it a shame, and like, it made me realize I care more about game stories than I thought I did. Because <laughs> uh, normally I'm well, quite happy to breeze through them, unless it's just an absolute stinking time, in which case it just puts me off the whole world and the whole thing. It's like, well, uh, I don't know, it just undermines the. <laughs> Just undermines it all for me. Don't like it. There are a couple of other things I noticed. Um, uh, one is they did a pre-order bonus where you get, if you pre-order it, you get like a different, you get an in-game companion that follows you around, like a pet that follows you around in-game. Which is a dog. Unusual. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the actual creature was. And the other thing is that it's £32. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's quite a lot. Is it? Do you get the sense it's like a really big game? 
Um, it's hard to tell. I, I don't think the combat system is as deep as it seems initially. Hmm. You can collect a lot of characters, but so far I haven't encountered like leveling up screens or skill screens or anything that would suggest there's going to be like an evolving uh, sense of power arc to to your party in the game. Uh, no skills to unlock and stuff like that. You just get them and they have a preset number of striking attacks. Um, so it doesn't feel like a hugely long one. Um, no, 32 seems a lot to me, especially when it's not the same game, but you could just buy Ori in the Blind Forest, <laughs> which just looks even more beautiful, and it's actually a really challenging platformer combat game as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's always just starting to downer, everybody. Yeah. But, and Ori in the Blind Forest has a, a sort of a, a bit of a low blow at the beginning, but it actually lands it. It does. Know? Yeah. It absolutely <laughs> lands it. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm so invested in this, these squirrels <laughs> yeah. and, and their pain. <laughs> and with no words, right? It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, that's, that's good storytelling. Kind of the opposite, like maximum impact, minimum yeah. words. Yeah, minimum time wasting and immediately just brings you into the atmosphere of the world. It's, it's, it's a, there's a darkness underneath the beautiful pixely, kind of pixie lights and things. Hmm. Shame. Yeah. Sounds anyway, like you need to calm the hell up, Tom. I need to calm the fuck yeah. up. <laughs> uh, who else? Who, who's been playing the happiest game of, of you two, I think? Game. I've been enjoying Borderlands 3 a lot. Oh, that's a that's jokes and bad writing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, have you played it? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I've been liking the writing mostly. I, okay. I, I got um, so I reviewed Borderlands Two, so I know that game fairly well as well. Uh, I played all of them, um, and I remember Borderlands Two being pretty hit and miss with the writing. Like there were some good jokes and some really like oh kind of <laughs> yeah. Yeah. wincing jokes. I haven't had as many of the wincing jokes in this one um and i've had plenty of of just laugh out loud ones um uh i was surprised how much i like it actually i was um i, I think I'd, it, this is one of those things where i haven't heard this opinion but i've heard people reacting to the opinion that they didn't like the writing in borderlands 3 um or and i don't know because i didn't see the opinions themselves i don't know if this is coming from long-term borderlands fans or people who've always hated it or or what um so i was kind of went through it half braced for like uh am i gonna hmm. find this really cringy uh, and also, there's kind of the the status of Gearbox and how I feel about them as a company has changed a fair bit since Borderlands 2. Right. In that, like, there have been so many stories about Randy Pitchford that I I don't know a lot of, I don't have any inside information about any of them, and I don't know that the uh, absolute truth of, of any of them. But at this point, it's kind of like, there's got to be something wrong there. I mean, <laughs> like, he was once a professional magician. I mean, <laughs> if that's not, like, an, the ultimate indictment against some of these person, I don't know. Yeah, and it certainly sounds like they treated some of their employees really badly, and... um They've also made some bizarre decisions and released some terrible games. <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, it's, that's partly why I'm so surprised that I like, like, I like it. And also it's just, uh, well, so apparently there were a lot of technical issues on launch. I didn't, um, hit any of those. I'm playing, uh, a fair bit after launch and I'm playing on PS4 Pro. So I haven't had any performance issues. Uh, there've been a few things like textures have been blurry for too long. Um, mm. which is, I mean, uh, it doesn't bother me, but it is a bit, dumb that that's an issue on a ps4 pro and a game that mostly looks like borderlands 2 did yeah, like right. how many years ago five six eight <laughs> like a long it, time enough, ago yeah. uh long enough that like there shouldn't really be any conceivable reason that this game doesn't run perfectly on modern hardware um but other than that it's it's like uh it's a really well-made uh really like lavish game they really just went fucking all out on it in terms of okay you know by the point of Borderlands 2, they figured out this game works and people like it. I don't think I realized how huge it was until Borderlands 3 came out and they started talking about figures of like, you know, Borderlands 2. Um, I think it was like weird, like Borderlands 2 has sold like more in the last three years than it did at, at launch or whatever. Mm. Um, 
but the franchise now is, is just absolutely vast and also i'm discovering i have a lot of friends who are really really into it um and uh it feels like they kind of got the confidence to just like okay we know people like this form of game we can afford to just make a shitload of it now and so uh i think i'm right saying there's four classes this time when there was only three before and then one of the big differences is that uh in borderlands 2 every class just had one ability so if you're zero you get to go invisible and if you're the siren you get to levitate somebody um and i can't remember what the other class <laughs> the raven that used to go through people's brains and then come back to you oh yeah um might have dreamt that <laughs> were, were there only three classes or was there another one I'm sure there was like the Gunzerker who can. Oh yeah, okay. So maybe it was last time as well. Yeah. Um, Why do I know that? Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, but and then so and that's kind of uh, I remember that being a a noticeable feature of it, like an unusual choice because it's a RPG in which you level up, you know, fifty times or something through the course of it, and you're spending all these on perks and stuff, and you only really have one ability, mm. and so all those perks just go super deep on what that ability does, how it interacts with other things, and how you upgrade it, and how it can uh, the final a perk I got for zero in Borderlands 2 is one where uh, if I melee someone from stealth, not only does it do a huge amount of damage, but if it kills them, it recloaks me. And so as long as I keep killing people, I can stay invisible forever, which is like, that was perfect. It was like, <laughs> A, that's a very me skill. <laughs> and then uh, it also feels like the sort of, you know, the logical extreme of that class. It was already about stealthing and melee and stuff and um, being able to go all the way with that. It was awesome. This time I'm playing as uh, Samara, I think. Um who is a siren again, but she's like a punchy siren. <laughs> um, where, uh, what was the siren? Was that broadly like psychic? The one who levitates, she casts like a bubble on somebody and they uh-huh. levitate in the air and they're trapped and you can shoot them and okay, right. do extra damage to someone's trapped. Type yeah. And, uh, Samara can do that, uh, but that's one of her three choices for her action skill at the start. She could also do a thing where she just jumps up in the air and slams down and does damage to everyone around her. Um, or another one where she creates like a line of damage in front of her. And then those three correspond to three skill trees that all have perks that aren't necessarily exclusively about them. In fact, they're, they're well designed so that all of the perks in the like tree that, that, uh, relates to the, um, line of fists, uh, ability, none of them are useless if you should decide to take a different action ability. So you can have, uh, I've actually ended up taking, at first I wanted like the, the ground slammy one. I didn't want to be a sort of, um, long distance siren. I wanted to get up close and like, um, do splash damage to everybody. And that was cool for a while. And then I eventually realized like, uh, actually this the way this game is designed, there's quite a lot of situations where you just have, you have a lot of distance before you reach the enemy. And I want to be doing something for that. Mm-hmm. And so now I've, when I was doing the ground slam thing, that has a long cooldown. And so I was specializing in minimizing that cooldown, getting perks that make that cooldown less and, uh, finding other ways to reduce that cooldown. And now I've switched to the bubble thing, uh, because A, uh, it has a shorter cooldown. B, I'm going for longer range stuff. Um, C, I've just unlocked a perk in the ground slam tree. There's a, uh, a perk that you unlock that means whatever your action skill is, it will also phase lock people around it, which is phase lock is the bubble thing. Um, and so if you're doing the ground slam thing, you're phase locking people around the ground slam. If you're doing the line of fists, you phase lock people around that, but you can also just put that on the phase lock. And so now you're phase lock people and it phase locks people around the person you phase lock. And phase lock has a really short cooldown and I've specialized in reducing that cooldown. And so now I can just be phase locking people all the time and it phase locks fucking everybody. <laughs> and then a perk in a different tree. Um, it's, it's sort of, you have to invest like 10 points in this tree before you can get, choose this one. But once you do choose this and it just makes all of the augment skills in the whole game, uh, significantly more effective. And the augment skills are, uh, in my case, it's the one that phase locks people around the, uh, the person you attacked. 
And there's other ones where like, it means that whatever your action skill is, it heals you uh, for a, an amount of the damage that you deal. Um, and there might be another one that like, uh, reduces your cooldown for how many people you hit or whatever. But you're, yeah, you can only pick one of those and you can switch them at any time. You also don't have to pay for these, which is really nice. So if you just get 10 points in this tree, you unlock the, the augment that phase locks people around you. Um, and yeah, it's just been really cool building their class that way. Um, and finding it doesn't, when I looked at them at first, I thought, ah, you're kind of like, because you have to invest 10 points in this tree to get this skill. Um, that means that you're, that you're sort of pushing you to just pick one tree and stick with it for the whole game. And actually I've found almost the opposite where it's most of the fun is in figuring out weird ways that a certain perk in this tree interacts with a skill from this other tree that is really cool. And that, that one that increases the effectiveness of all of your augment things, the phase lock augment, usually the ones who are phase lock because they're just near the target. Um, if you shoot them at all, it cancels the phase lock. This just changes that so it's like half a second after you damage them, it cancels the phase lock. And that means you can actually just pump loads of damage into them in that half second, depending on what weapon you're using. I know, of course, like the, the thing that I'm remembering about Borderlands is that it's just a sort of a huge gun menu <laughs> or gun, <laughs> yeah. it's a gun shopping spree, really. Like it's, it's this, you have this shopping cart and you're just pouring guns into it as you run through the world, <laughs> just taking fucking everything. And then you, you spend like 15 minutes just looking through your inventory thing. Is that any good? Is that really any good? Do I pick that up to sell it or is this actually a good thing? Um, and I, I actually kind of wish that the interface for that was a bit better. Um, like I could, because they have detailed stats on these guns and the idea is they vary in fire rate and, and damage and uh, all this other stuff. But there's also, I keep finding there's a lot of hidden properties to these things. In some cases, like if, if there's like a legendary weapon, there is, they tell you this up front. There are properties of these that we don't tell you in the stats. You have to try them out to find out. But even without those, even the lower tier, I had a, an Atlas assault rifle that on paper, didn't sound that great. It's sort of, it's damage times its fire rate times its clip size was not competitive with the other guns that I had. Um, but when I tried it in practice, it was incredible because it had zero recoil. And so, and it, and the scope, it has scope, but like a reflex sight kind of thing, which I guess is not scope. <laughs> it's a sight. Uh, but basically you look down the, the sights and it zooms in a little bit, but not too much, uh, which is kind of just right for most situations this game where you kind of, you want precision, but you don't actually want to be super zoomed in because then you lose situational awareness. And the fact that it had zero kick meant just everybody. I'm playing on, on a console and I've got, there's a sort of auto aim that's just on by default and it's really good auto aim. I, I really like it. <laughs> you mean I it's think, accurate or that it actually predicts what you want? Um, uh, yeah, both. It's, uh, I think it does a certain amount of like sort of tracking. There's a certain amount of stickiness to it where mm. you just, your cursor will kind of stay on someone's head if, if you, if you're roughly tracking them. And I'm not very good at console shooters, so this is very much appreciated for me. I can definitely imagine some people finding it too much and you can turn it off. Mm. Um, but anyway, with this particular gun, it just means you kind of, you squeeze the trigger to zoom in, you're on their head, and then you just keep firing and you'll stay exactly on their head because, because there's no recoil and uh, there's a little bit of tracking and it's not hard to track a, like a slow-moving target. And so it's just insanely effective. It's just like guns that do twice as much total damage output were nothing like as effective as this because this was just laser-focused on everyone's weak spot, just mowing everybody down. <laughs> this all sounds like sort of OP the game. Like, it, what's, <laughs> yeah, what is absolutely. the challenge in it? Is, well, is there none? Is it so just because you're trying to disassemble these people? You're always leveling up and the enemy's always leveling up and your guns are not. And so you're any... Uh, Sufficiently powerful gun eventually becomes obsolete, and that's kind of the magic of it. Is um, it, it can give you stuff that's just insanely good, <laughs> and that's the, the fun of it. And it's it really is remarkable how that is. 
not doesn't come through in the stats like it I, i'll find stuff with amazing stats and i'll try and think, eh, no not really that doesn't do it hmm. and it's not anything like as much as good as this gun and they've i don't know if this is an intentional uh attempt to fix that but everything now has a score i don't know if that was in borderlands 2 but like there'll just be an overall score for the weapon it's just it's a 300 weapon it's a 200 weapon um and you can sort your inventory by that so that's kind of because it is difficult when it like a, a shotgun that does 30 times 8 damage 5.6 times a second with a 12 round clip how does that compare to a 12 by 10 shotgun that does 4.5 rounds per second uh-huh. but uh only has a six round clip so they're not yeah, like a dps just a dps nope. mm. uh it does uh with the things that do like spreads of shots uh you it won't even tell you what the total damage is for one shot because it will just be like 30 times eight or whatever or 12 times 16 hmm. what it will do is if you compare two it'll highlight it in red or green depending on whether it's higher or lower so okay, that's that's, cool. that's my trick with shotguns is you just you equip one shotgun yeah, <laughs> then you green. mouse over the other one and then uh it'll tell you whether it's more damage hmm. but given that i don't really mind that like i don't want them to just add more stats they could add a, a kick stat and that would be somewhat interesting but i don't I'm already spending kind of too much time looking at these numbers and trying to multiply them together in my head. And, and sometimes I literally got out a calculator to figure out, like, is this thing better than this thing? Uh, but ultimately none of that really matters. You want to just try it, right? Mm. Like, and they, they sort of suggest you do that anyway. Um, but I, so I wish the interface for that was better. Like, I think what I really want is just rather than the way it works right now is you have like initially two slots for guns and then your inventory and you decide which guns from your inventory go in your actual slots. And those are the ones you hot swap between with the, the button in game. What I really want is just like my entire inventory. I just choose what order it's in. And then in game, there's just a button that just says next gun, next gun, next gun, next gun. <laughs> and I also really need like a training area or just like a, a place I can go where there'll always be this many enemies of my level and they'll just pour in and I just mow them down just so I can test guns. Cause mm. I just, that's what I need to do is I just, I just need to know I have eight fucking guns that don't fit into, <laughs> into the slots I have. My slots are all full. I have eight others that I also think might be valid <laughs> and I need to try all of them. And I can do that as I play the game, but the game is, annoyingly full of varied and interesting challenges <laughs> and so i wipe out one group of enemies with this gun and it was great for that and then i switched to another gun and the next group of enemies give me a load of trouble i'm like is that because these are different enemies with different abilities and strengths or is this because mm. this gun is garbage uh and so i find myself like oh i won't kill this enemy yet because he's the same as the last enemy so i actually want to change weapons before i attack him so i have a scientific comparison of these two <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous so yeah, it feels like a game could do more to support you there yeah, if there was just a menu option that put you into a kind of VR world where there's not even a skybox, it's just like white space there where things charge you. Yeah. Then you just dip in and out of there and see what the guns feel like. There's, it is interesting. I always wonder if there's a reason they didn't do that. Uh, because I got stuck on a boss. I, one thing I really don't like about it is that, um, I ended up doing, I don't know if I just, I skipped too many side quests in the first area. And so I ended up kind of under leveled for the main quest and for like three or four, sections of the main quest uh i was still doing it fine i was still perfectly able to defeat everything but the thing that was happening was all the loot i found was uh its minimum level was two levels above me so i couldn't use any of the guns i'm finding and that just kills the game like mm. if you're not finding if you're finding stuff that you can't use and you can't even use it next level sometimes i was finding stuff that's three levels above me mm. it's like i can't use it for three levels i'm just gonna sell it yeah. <laughs> like there's no point in me hanging on to this so basically this is useless to me all the stuff i'm finding is just crap and really like i'm doing content that's too should be too hard for me uh, and I'm succeeding, I feel like I should be rewarded for that. I should get better stuff, not useless <laughs> stuff. Um, I suppose maybe they don't want you, maybe that, I suppose it could almost be like a self-balancing thing. Cause if you're already finding the game too easy, then they don't want to give you more powerful weapons yet. And so you have to wait to, to get those. Uh, but that was very frustrating. Um, and I hit, I was on a mission where I just like a big mech came down and I had this like, uh, really long drawn out battle with it. All it had was armor and I had an anti-armor weapon. 
but um it just took a very long time to whittle it down and then i got past that and did a bit more on the mission hoping the mission would end soon and then the next fight was like one of those plus three heavies and a boss <laughs> and like a whole horde of enemies and i was like oh fuck and just like left the game for a while and came back to it the next day <laughs> um and then I, actually I, I quit that mission completely i just went to a different part of the world and i was kind of thinking like oh the game's kind of broken for me and it's um um uh losing interest in it um but then I went and did some side quests that were kind of some, like I had a couple that were roughly my level and I did those. And then I started doing some even lower level ones that were just left to my backlog just to get good enough that I would be able to take on these other things. And of course, along the way, you find, even if you don't find good weapons in that lower level content, you'll just by visiting shops regularly, you'll see some stuff for sale. That's like, oh shit, that's actually amazing. And I found a shield. I'd been going for like low capacity, fast recharge shields. Um, that's one area where you can just look at the numbers and know how a shield works. Um, and that's really cool. There's, there's a really interesting trade-off between how fast, how much do I care about how quickly my shield comes back? How long do I have to take cover before I get my shield back? And how big is the shield? And they just keep making those numbers more and more extreme. You think, like, I thought, okay, I just like, sh- like fast shields and uh, as big capacity as possible, obviously, but most of the fast ones are a small capacity. And I was, I was using that and I was getting destroyed in this high level mission. And the, the biggest thing that made the difference was not actually leveling up. It was, I found a shield that was, like my old one was 200 and this was like 450 and much lower to recharge but i was like you know what that is so tough i don't think it matters <laughs> and then I, so I got that and then i got a class mod um and class mods give you like some free points and a certain power then i really like the way they do these because they, they do a lot of things that most games don't do where it can give you points and an ability that you're not high enough level to have yet like there's no way you could have this ability it's like a level 25 ability and this mod just gives you three points in that and you just get them it just works uh that's crazy like you know most rpgs won't let you do that and then even more amazingly i'm really surprised they do this but i remember it now from borderlands 2 if there's a skill that's like oh this one increases uh increases the damage of all your weapons when you're at close range and the first point of it will do 12 percent extra damage the next one will do 24 uh and it's there are three possible points you can put in this and so at the point three you're doing 36 percent extra damage at, at point blank range if you find a class mod that has plus three to that ability, it just stacks. It just adds <laughs> onto it. It just goes beyond the three maximum. Like, now you just have six of that. We said 36 for that. Okay, fine. You've got 72% damage now. Like, what? <laughs> and so for every skill, I don't know. I'm really curious, actually, if there are any skills where they just uh, can't put them on a class mod because any skill that can be boosted by a class mod can go beyond its maximum. Hmm. And these maximums, when you read them, they're, they're not, like, restrictive. They seem pretty sensible. They're like, okay, yeah, you don't want me to be able to regenerate. I'm already regenerating, like... um the class one I found gives me plus three to a thing called mindfulness, which is... Um, <laughs> that doesn't seem like a Borderlandsy kind of stat. <laughs> <laughs> so Samara is kind of like a... There's a little bit of a spiritual kind of element to her abilities. Uh-huh. It's kind of like, do you want to go into aggression or like um, uh, focus and that kind of thing? Mm. Uh, and mindfulness means that when you take damage, it gives you a stack of mindfulness. And mindfulness reduces the recharge delay on your shield. And so I've just got this high capacity shield with a low... Uh, with a slow delay... Uh, but now I've got a class mod that gives me plus three mindfulness. And so when I take damage, it's dramatically reducing the, the delay. And so I think I'm getting like 20% quicker delay, but that's without me putting any actual points into mindfulness. So now I'm expecting my whole character to put more points in that tree so I can unlock mindfulness for real because it's above my current level. <laughs> once I get mindfulness, I'm going to be so fucking mindful. <laughs> like I'm going to have, I'm going to max it out organically and then also have a class mod that 
boost it to three and then just get the slowest ass shield with like i have one now that's like 900 shield <laughs> and like seven second delay but like i'm so mindful i will get that back <laughs> this is the most video game story you've told for a while i think tom oh, you take it at the ancient art of meditation and then use it to <laughs> generate your shields at a unlikely speed is 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 good video games i feel it's important in life to be present in the moment to regenerate your shields really quickly <laughs> that's very good well, I'm going to give it a try now. You've convinced me. So all I've heard has been just kind of pretty ne- negative stuff about it. Like, um, people have been saying, like, obviously it's very grinding, that's fine. But um, people have been disappointed with the level design, like quite flat and uninteresting, but I'm not sure. I haven't had that. I actually have, um, I was quite surprised, like, you're just flying around the galaxy in this one, and so you're just going to different planets. You're not stuck on Pandora. Mm. And I've just been to, like, a, um, a sort of uh, neon noir city kind of planet. And then we went straight from there to, like, a sort of, temple monkey kind of planet oh yeah <laughs> sorry monk planet not monkey oh, uh, oh, oh. But, well uh, now i've just got to a swamp planet with monkeys so <laughs> that too. but it's got that feeling of like um that sort of ex- uh, like star trek kind of feeling of like this week we're on this planet and it's oh, got its really own good. theme and uh, they're really like um the swamp planet i've got to is surprisingly vertical there's all these like vines and trees that got mountains that you're driving on and mm. um yeah it seems really cool i think borderlands 2 like it became a series where it's a great place for friends to hang out because it's not too it doesn't, it's not too tasking really it's just yeah. swapping loot and thinking about stuff mm. um, and that's you know there aren't a huge number of games like that Vermintide's good for that um, but it's still a, a genre that you know, it's good, has its has its fans mm. the thing I was going to say about when I was stuck and I went and got I like all that stuff that eventually made me better when I came back to go back to that boss I had to fight through that you don't have to repeat any mission objectives but you have to go through the area mm. like the starting point of that mission is still the same so I have to fight past whoever has respawned the it's ambient mechs yeah it's got that kind of Diablo thing of like a zone is a zone and we right. spawn into it those will be the enemies who are there yeah. um, but on the way back through it I found a mission that I didn't see before and I took that mission and that threaded throughout the whole zone in its own way and so I ended up basically having a whole new mission in the same location with new enemies uh, sorry the, the respawned uh, versions of the same enemies but now I've got new equipment so fighting them is different and my objectives are different and going to different parts of the map and it's surprisingly effective and I, it almost feels like maybe that's why they don't have that kind of VR sim kind of thing, is mm. that they kind of want you to just replay a zone. Right. Just like, do that same thing again, but see how it works with these weapons. Huh. Oh, I'm tempted now. That might, might be my Christmas game. I like to grind <laughs> a game over Christmas and just sort of chill out. Yeah. I've played too much Library 3 now, the game's dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, though, is it, Tom? <laughs> if you think about it, I'll, I'll be playing it within six months. Do you regret not playing it on PC? It's on, it's on, it is on PC. Why, why are you playing it on PlayStation to certain address? Uh, partly because I was ill, and so I was on my couch a lot. I right. tried to like, <laughs> yeah. vegetate and play something. Um, and then also, uh, I'd heard there were performance issues, and I figured console would be a safer bet for that, like... Uh, it's just easier to optimize for, for console. And so even if they haven't yet, like the patches will be, um, more forthcoming than like a PC. My PC is not super high spec. I don't really know where it falls on the spectrum these days, but, um, stuff that has performance problems on PC scares me. Hmm. That was the other bit of news, wasn't it? That PlayStation 5 has been announced. That's true. <laughs> yeah. There's it's all it. sorts of haptic, funny business in the controllers. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, they, they, um, they seem to be saying that Rumble isn't haptic. Uh, now, but it is, isn't it? it? Is, I thought yeah. the Rumble was. No, I thought it was the very definition of it. But they seem to be anyway. They seem to be rebranding this as haptic rather than Rumble, despite the fact that Rumble is obviously haptic feedback. Yes, yes. But um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's the only thing that's been announced as being the controller, which is, I suppose, will eventually be compatible with PC. So yeah, I suppose true. that's relevant. Yeah, and but, those um, uh, games can choose the resistance of the triggers, which is an idea yeah. I really like actually, because the example they use like pulling a bow yeah. should be harder than yeah, you know aiming cool. down your sights. Yeah. 
I don't know uh, what the release of a new console really means to the PC landscape now, though. I suppose it depends whether it's streaming or not, or whether it's... It, doesn't sound, it sounds like um, the next generation is going to be fairly conventional, and then streaming is kind of on the horizon. I bet everyone's mm. just watching Stadia and seeing what really happens with that te- right. technology. Um, but it sounds like it's going to be lots of downloadable games, and I think they'll still have disc slots and stuff for physical retail. Mm. Uh, so it I doesn't feel like it's going to be a very, you know... Uh, tumultuous shift from what people already expect there'll just be more powerful machines um it'd be interesting to see if they adopt like ray tracing and a lot of the stuff that's been gimmicky in the pc space for the last year or so yeah i think they said there is ray tracing hardware yeah that's good that, that's interesting um they're doing more with vr again as well i think mm. they persist, <laughs> yes, they persist. <laughs> um well playstation vr i haven't tried it but it sounded like that was one of the more kind of worthwhile versions where it's just then you buy you just put it in your head and it works and yeah. it's comfortable and light mm-hmm. yeah I think that's the way, like, my sweet spot is still the Oculus, actually. Um, a sit-down VR headset lets me play Flight Sim or Elite. That's, as a kind of niche hobbyist, that's what I, I want and pay a lot of money for. Until but, they can yeah. uh, stop my face sweating disgustingly, <laughs> yeah. I think. <laughs> and also just <laughs> wearing glasses with yeah, these things yeah. is, is still a nightmare, really. Mm. It still doesn't work, uh, and it's still they're still too heavy. As as, yeah, but, you know, don't at me, VR. <laughs> this happens every, t- every time. <laughs> I don't know why. I noticed, uh, actually, that uh, the Valve Index Complete Kit, hmm. or the 900 quid one, is top of the Steam charts currently. Oh, wow. That's it has cool. been, I've checked it a few times, it's always been in there. So people are buying that. Or, I mean, that Steam chart is by revenue, so maybe 10 people bought it, and that's enough to compete. <laughs> on, the, on the topic of next-gen consoles, everyone should check out the um, the images going around of the PlayStation 5 prototype console. Oh, yeah. Which is absolutely absurd, yeah. uh, if true. Absurd, if true. <laughs> um, but it'll, it, the, the final console will never look like that, but it looks like a kind of part of an aeroplane turbine. It's, it's, it's I thought it looked like uh, the um, uh, the... Is it Nexus Corp building out of Blade Runner? Right, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's got that vibe to it. It's got a sort of like a ridged pyramidal kind of uh, thing going on. Yeah, uh. and a landing zone. And there's kind of like shallow depression yeah. where a, heli- a helicopter might... <laughs> not a helicopter, whatever Blade, Blade Runner's version of that is, would land. Um, it looks like it needs a lot of cooling because <laughs> there are slots all over that thing. And mm. that, that's obviously their temporary cooling solution. But yeah, we'll see. It's interesting. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know like how... I keep saying this, but like, I don't know how much... I don't need more graphics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I really don't. Like, God of War looks fucking amazing to me. Like, that looks marvellous. Like, if games look like that, the big budget games, and The Last of Us 2 and stuff like that, and even remastered versions of, you know, The Last of Us 1 looked fucking amazing. The remastered version of Shadow of the Colossus looks fucking amazing. Mm. I, don't, I don't need more graphics anymore. Well, the fact that you stayed with a, Tom Francis have stayed with a, like, a consistent spec for long enough that you don't remember how good your PC yeah. is, is, yeah. is really telling. It's just not that important. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that did not used to be the case. You couldn't, yeah. not know how your pc fared in the grand scheme of things which is I, I almost wonder if that's why if that's related to the fact that recently we had a, have, have had a few fuck-ups on that front in terms mm. of like control and borderlands mm. 3 you both had sort of rocky mm. launches in terms of performance on pc um and and elsewhere actually both of them had problems on console as well but uh i wonder if it's a case of like it's been easy to make pc games for a while in terms of uh performance and now you don't have to optimize as much yeah, you certainly don't have to compress your textures anymore. Uh, the new Call of Duty is 175 gigabyte download. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I don't know, it's most of my SSD. <laughs> Red, Red Dead 2 is 150, 150 as well. Yeah. Which apparently is 50 gigabytes more than it was on consoles, which yeah. is uh, cool, I guess. That's oh yeah, Red Dead's coming out on PC. Oh yeah. <laughs> is that news? <laughs> I think, was that news last week? I can't remember. I can't remember. It was exciting anyway. Yeah, it's cool, it's cool. <laughs> it's the slow, strange cowboy game is coming to PC. Yeah, I think I probably will play that. 
now that you know uh rockstar's uh various you know malfeasance regarding its workforce has, mm. has fallen into distant memory yeah i, I feel like i can <laughs> i can play a game by them again not too soon no mm. yeah it's a nice game good horses good horses i've been uh i've been uh upgrading a pc Ooh. That's been well, the majority of my gaming time <laughs> for what feels like for fucking ever. So by building a PC, have you have you gone into the the PC mines and grabbed individual components and then bolted and soldered them together at home like a, a true PC gaming warrior, or have you gotten someone else to just build it for you, like a sensible <laughs> did you person? Pay the, <laughs> did you what? pay the silicon price or the gold price? <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I did pay somebody uh, to build it for me, but I also did it in the least sensible way, in that I still had to uh, do uh, a reasonable, not not a, a minimal amount of customization for it because right. I've been moving country a lot and. I've not wanted to reinstall Windows because reinstalling Windows, the last time I did it, uh, it took maybe six months before I felt like it was working properly with all my peripherals. Because <laughs> I have like uh, an old Wacom tablet and oh, yeah, yeah. the interface, inter- interfacing between Windows Ink, which is the, obviously the, the new real player in terms of being the worst possible piece <laughs> of fucking hard software ever devised and that the interaction between that Wacom's own legacy drivers and Photoshop's drivers mm. completely fucking nightmarish. And on the top of that, you've got all of the normal uh, Windows 10 bullshit adverts, Cortana, all this other handholding stuff, which yeah. is actually just getting in the way of you using your PC like a normal human being should. Mm. Um, uh, and so I was so scared of reinstalling Windows, and obviously I didn't want to reinstall all of the software that I, I have accrued. So what I was doing was I was <laughs> when I moved from. Uh, uh, Sweden to America, I bought the exact same PC in America and took my hard drives over and plugged them into oh, it. Nice. And it worked fine. <laughs> um, and I couldn't do the same thing now because uh, some, some of the um, uh, the components just aren't uh, aren't available to purchase anymore. So uh, I've had to respec, basically. And it still works. Like it, the Windows install, even though it's obviously very inadvisable to stick a, a Windows install which expects different hardware into a new set of hardware, it works. It does adapt. Mm. Um, but by fucking Christ, is it painful to get to that point even? And I... What, I I was going to talk about this for ages earlier. <laughs> I was standing around in my house just ranting and swearing like a maniac, obviously. You had your own little podcast. Yeah, exactly. But I think I'll keep that private. But suffice to say, what I, th- I think something that's lacking from all hardware coverage on, say, PC Gamer or Rock Paper Shotgun is an article which says, okay, so you're willing to build computers, but the last time you did it was four years ago. Mm. Here's the things that you need to know now that are going to catch you out. Because it's just... It's just impossible for somebody to remember on that timescale. Like, it's not a frequent enough occurrence that yeah. I'm going to embed these things in memory. Some things last, but I'm going to make mistakes. I'm, I, like, dumb mistakes as well. Like, I, I, I had, I knew I had a secondary monitor here, uh, in a cupboard and I thought that'll be fine. It was actually way older than I thought it was. Didn't, it doesn't have HDMI. Yeah. But also it didn't occur to me that DVI would be a phased out standard now mm-hmm. because it wasn't on the last generation of GeForce cards that I bought. Right. But nobody sent me the fucking memo. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the thing that catches you out, I mean, obviously you're going to make mistakes yourself, but the thing that that's, that's, there's always something that's just completely out of your context to explain that mm. has changed with PCs in that time. There's no way you couldn't even begin to ask the question about what the thing is because you just don't know. Like, so I have all these hard drives. So I'm, I'm like, oh, brilliant, got my PC. I'm just going to plug them in mm. like I did. Uh, I bought the same case twice. And this one is 
uh, it looks the same, um, but it has a slightly different, so it's called like a fractal design define S rather than define R6. The last two, <laughs> the last two have been the same, mm. um, except that in the second R6 I bought, they completely encased the power supply in a shell. I don't know why. It makes it really difficult to access. I have no idea. Don't bother to tell me. I don't care why. <laughs> That's not the case with this one. But uh, because it is a slightly different model, I just, I opened it up and I was like, there's no, there's no, there's no hard drive bays. There's literally just an empty space where the hard drive bays are meant to go. What, what the fuck? <laughs> and it, it slowly occurred to me that this is a case that has been specified specifically, specified specifically, uh, for people who are going to do hoopy water cooling stuff. And right. so they've taken out all the hard drive bays and replaced it with empty space where you can put a giant fucking pump. <laughs> I don't have a pump. I'm not water cooling. Instead, the hard drives are now stacked on their side around the back of the case. Like uh, sometime recently they've started slipping S- uh, SSDs hmm. around the back of your uh, motherboard. Huh. And they've done this with all of the 3.5 inch drives as well. Whoa. And uh, it turns out that it's really fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I said I wouldn't rant about no, it. I'm enjoying it. It's good. This is it's, the abridged version. <laughs> yeah, but like, I can, okay. So you've got a, you've got a pump. You need to make space for your fucking pump, twat. <laughs> so where do you put the hard drives? You've got to put them around the back. I understand that, mm. but you power the hard drives with this very thin, flat, wide cable from from the power supply it's like a piece of linguine it's yeah. really really wide really really flat very unflexible you can only flex it really in one direction because it's flat and wide you can't flex it horizontally twist that thing. you can't fucking do that no. and so if you're trying to like i have now i have four hard drives in that thing that i need <laughs> and getting this cable to just fit in the this, this two less than two centimeter space between that and the the PC case, yeah. it's insane. Nobody would design a case like this apart from those pillocks. <laughs> but like, obviously, it's my fault because I didn't look uh, that closely at it. Nowhere did it say, "Oh, this is the you know the case for particularly for bellends." If you're a bellend, <laughs> buy this case. I didn't I didn't think to interrogate it because yeah. it never occurred to me anybody would do something this stupid because it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got it fixed together. I don't know if I'm going to be able to put the actual side of the case. Mm. So is there just like a big empty space in the yeah the case? <laughs> yeah just a giant void? <laughs> I've um my SSD. I got so frustrated with trying to change the size of the bay. All the bays were designed for 3.5 inch standard mm. hard drives. Uh, it's just fucking dangling. It's just dangling. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter with an it SSD. It doesn't matter. It's fine because it, it's yeah. a self-contained. Like it, it, it's not conducting anything. Like it's made of plastic, and so it's just fucking loose in there, doing what it wants, <laughs> and it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, I'm dunking on fractal design here, but the reason I went with their case is because the first fractal design case I bought from mm. them was the best case I've ever owned. <laughs> it was sensible. like the perfect case. Mm. The, the the way that you loaded the drive bays was really, really easy. Just things popped in and out. Mm. You didn't really need to use screws. It was, it was just so ergonomic. I was like, oh man, we've, we've learned something. We've <laughs> learned this. something as a species. And then, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as a result of finally, finally getting a PC working again, I have been playing John Wick Hex. John Wick Hex. John Wick Hex. From by Mike, Mike Bithel. Yes, you may know from the television and, uh, BAFTAs and things. Yes. A uh, famous man. And he's made, uh, an interesting game. I think it's, uh, I, do you guys like John Wick? I, I, sort of. <laughs> I'm the same. I've I've seen the first two, hmm. and I think if I didn't 
if no one had recommended them to me, I'd be like, oh, that was actually like a pretty superior action film. But because people recommend them so much, I'm <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. really? <laughs> Are you even like wild about this? I, I, one thing I do like about them is the, the whole hotel mythos thing. Like oh, weird yeah. undergoes. Oh, oh, you heard that. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I mean, I don't really like, I don't like the, the, the world in which John Wick takes place. I think I don't, I don't, I don't find it that charming. I find it's just obviously cartoonish in a way, yeah. which doesn't satisfy me. Like sometimes big cartoonish, like, heavy-handed everybody's an assassin that's that's fine on some level but for some reason it really annoys me in this. <laughs> yeah, i don't know it's, why it's but the, the thing that i don't like i don't think it's i don't like it as an action film i don't really they're fine but everything about um so there's there's one particular shot i can't remember in which film it is but don't worry because they're identical <laughs> um there's one particular shot. It's like an overhead shot. John Wick's in the center of the screen. He's in a nightclub or possibly some archaeological ruins or who really cares. It doesn't <laughs> I think matter. it's both in two. <laughs> yes, that's right. But, uh, but, but space doesn't matter in those films, which no. is one of the things that I hate about it. And he's just in the center of the screen and men are running into camera, then pulling their guns as they're like a meter away from him. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And then getting shot dead before they can shoot him. Yeah. And it just makes no sense. And it goes on for like five seconds. And he kills like ten people. And they're all just running onto onto screen so they yeah. can shoot him at a meter's range rather they're, than shooting him from wherever they were. They're calling previously. the NPCs basically. They just spawn out there and just get beaten up. That's the- and I think for some people like that, oh, it's it's balletic or whatever. <laughs> I mean uh I think it's there's uh, it's all about the the style of it rather than any kind of like in as much as I find like gunfights dramatic or interesting in cinema, hmm. it's the the things that I find fascinating about them. It's all about the positioning. It's all about sight lines and space and the uh, deadly impacts of those <laughs> of, of weaponry. Hmm. And John Wick doesn't really have those two first things. It's just. It's just a man spinning around, hop, uh, pressing a button, and then lots of people fall over. <laughs> and uh, for better or for worse, like John Wick Hex reproduces that. Mm. Um, mm. And I think it's a, one of the most kind of weirdly, b- brilliantly faithful, in some ways, adaptations of uh, uh, a piece of film. Because it really gets to, it really expresses, for me at least, uh, the action in, in John Wick. And... In saying so, it also expresses the ways in which I find that action insufficient for me mm. dramatically. But so I, it, there's some John Wick story going on. Who cares? Um, <laughs> but you're fighting through these tiny, tiny levels. Each one is only like two corridors. Sometimes maybe it's like three rooms. Um, and you, uh, it is turn-based sort of, but it's uh, it's, it's sort of like super hot-ish in that mm. it freezes time, and then uh, you make your decision about what your next move is, and then time for everybody moves simultaneously. And it expresses what you're doing uh, at the top in terms of uh, like a time bar. So you, it, almost like a piece of video soft- editing software, you see how long your action is going to take expressed across seconds. Mm. And you can see how long enemies' actions are going to take expressed across seconds. So you can see when, oh, this enemy is going to shoot me uh, in you know 0.5 of a second's time. Maybe I can throw my gun at him in, in less time and stun him. And then I can close the gap between him and, and, and slam him into the ground and kill him. Um and I think that's that's very interesting uh 
in and of itself, that's just a, a novel kind of mechanic. But also I think it does a very good job of expressing the kind of combat that happens in, in John Wick, where people are just popping out, basically, of every fucking orifice in this building. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's lots of spawn points in this game. You mm. walk past a door and you know, like, it doesn't matter that you've cleared that level before it. Somebody's going to pop out of that door. Like Super Hot, actually, is, is it quite a quite close analogous game. Mm. And... You just have to sort of, it's almost like Robotron, you know, <laughs> all these things are coming towards you and you've just got to work out how to manipulate yourself through the, through the, the small number of verbs at your disposal to try and avoid being hit and get out of sight lines, um, whilst taking people down. I don't know how, what the longevity of this game will be for me. I feel like I've seen most of its, uh, its, its verbiage in a quite a short period of time. How are any? I think I'm like three missions in, not like three individual set pieces. Like, I think it's like, I mean, it would be fair to describe it in cinematic language, like scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm in, uh, I'm in th- three chapters in, let's say. Right. Um, and n- n- not that many new things have progressed. You can kind of pick up perks along the way, which alter your skills and you can pick up new weapons, which, but everything is basically comes down to playing that timeline and it's all about, just so I, I, of the verbs that you have at your disposal when you target an enemy, you've got strike, you've got push, you've got take down, shoot, and throw gun, and none of those feel that different or interesting to me. <laughs> Obviously, shooting somebody is different to taking them down physically, mm. um, but the real thing that differentiates them, rather than it being about the the, the spatial considerations, is just how much time it takes versus how much damage you're doing to them obviously if mm. you can uh shoot somebody dead <laughs> that's that's pretty good mm. they're, they're, that's uber stunning somebody you know nobody gets up from that <laughs> the ultimate stun <laughs> the ultimate stun but if you strike somebody it might only knock off two bits of health and then they may recover um it's, uh, i've found that the balance of this is strange <laughs> yeah so i've only played i haven't even finished the first chapter but i'm sort of five scenes in i guess mm. uh and uh, this is not a complaint coming from me, but throwing your gun is both faster and more accurate than shooting anybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I've just been throwing my gun in almost every situation. <laughs> just like, I'm just, what happens very often is like, you're in a non-hostile situation, you move somewhere, and then as soon as you get line of sight to an enemy that you didn't know was there before, the game stops right there, um, and gives you an opportunity to decide what to do. Uh, if that person, is coming straight at you. They've seen you and they're already planning to shoot you. And when you mouse over the shoot option, you'll see on the timeline, there's kind of this prep time and then there's this execute time uh, in pink. And so you can see at the point, you can see the point at which they will fire their gun. You can see the point at which you will fire your gun if you choose the shoot option. And uh, in general, it seems to me it's usually a bit after them. So they're going to get a shot off before you kill them. And so even if you have a hundred percent chance to hit, uh, the shoot option is often not good enough um, if they've come in ready for you. And but the throw gun option is slightly less time. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I could either get shot or I could not get shot by throwing my gun at them. Mm. And so I always end up throwing my gun. And then if you, uh, I was in a situation where like all the way across a restaurant, someone came at me and I had an 80% chance to shoot them. I actually did have time in this case. Um, I think they weren't even armed. They were like a brawler who was just going to mm. come at me with their fists. But it's like 80% chance to shoot or 100% chance to throw my gun at them. Really? I'm like throwing my gun is both faster and more accurate than just shooting them with the gun <laughs> I'm holding and pointing at them right now. Like, it doesn't squeeze the trigger. Right? No, but it stuns them for so long that I can cross the distance and take them out before yeah. they, they can ever do anything again. So it's, it's a death sentence unless there's someone else around, in which case obviously that, that's a much bigger problem. Um, 
There's some, there is, there's interesting stuff going on with, uh, the things it restricts. So there is a sort of a, a resource, um, called focus, which you expend on doing, uh, physical takedowns and also Forward rolls. rolling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Take a lot of focus to do that. Yeah, it's not quite clear why that takes focus, but I, I suppose it's just, it would be overpowered otherwise. You just roll everywhere. <laughs> yep. It's your, super hard to hit when you're rolling. And you then, you can sort of do this little, um, like <laughs> shaking yes. your head to kind of regain focus, but it takes a little <laughs> bit of time. So you can't do it in the middle of a fight. And if you get interrupted, then you, you know, you're still losing focus. How many seconds does it take to shake your head? <laughs> Very few. It takes a long time to bandage yourself though, which is yeah. the other resource bandages. So, so, um, you, each chapter is divided into scenes. Um, and the number of bandages and ammunition, uh, is persistent across that. So you can't, you can't, you know, fritter away your bandages. You need to think about when you're going to, to heal yourself. Mm. Um, and, um, there's also reloading as well. That's the other, the other, the other time taking thing. Um, but I don't know that there's that much kind of meta stuff going on. It feels like everything is very um, tactical and immediate, but there's not that much kind of um, strategy to it. Uh, some even kind within of, a single level. And it's just like all the, it hasn't really come into play as far as I play, but the, uh, all the resources are persistent. I guess like maybe this is just only across a chapter. Yeah. But like from scene to scene, if you ran out of ammo on the last scene, you start the next scene with the Oh hour. yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and you can, if you fail, you can restart from that beginning of that scene, but you still restart with that resource. Right. Level. Uh, and so that's like, I, I guess the reason that throwing guns is so good is that, uh, they need some reason to do it other than shooting people. <laughs> yeah. But also, I, what I expected was like, I would be running out of ammo all the time and I was like, mm. fuck, this, this gun's out. I mean, usually, usually you're throwing your gun at somebody because it's out of ammo <laughs> or it's Borderlands where one of the manufacturers, that's how you reload is to throw your gun at somebody <laughs> and then it spawns a new gun in your head. Um, but, uh, I haven't been running out of ammo as much, but I, I was, I want to know how the ammo mechanics work. And, uh, this, obviously the mechanics of this game, I'm sure were designed with the intent that if you follow these rules and you optimize within them, you will end up doing John Wicky things. And mm. the scene that plays out will be a John Wick kind of scene. Uh, the scene that played out in my first level was after I killed somebody, I walked over to them and I wanted to pick up their guns. I'm like, I've got my gun, but I also want their gun. So I tried to pick that up. Mm. Okay, picked it up. Great. Uh, and then I saw in the tile next to me, there's another gun there, like a custom pistol. Oh, cool. That's something. Let's click on that. So you move to the next tile, pick up that gun. Yes. And the next tile next to me had like this nine millimeter. Oh, I want that. Let's move over there. Get that gun. And it's, you can only carry one gun at a time and you drop your gun on like the next tile over. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know things like, I thought I could only see these items when I got close to them. And so like three or four times I just picking up these guns. And then there's this feature. I think this is an ill-advised feature, uh, but there's a feature to watch the whole thing back at yeah. the end of the mission, mm. which in theory sounds great. That's yeah. the thing we all want from like super high density games where it's turn-based because in theory, what should play back now is this amazing mm. uh, action sequence. Practice <laughs> it's me dropping a gun, picking up a gun, dropping a gun. Oh, a gun. Ooh. Oh, I dropped a gun. Oh, oh, a gun. Well, even if you play it not like an idiot, um, <laughs> uh, it still does. It looks awful, though, those yeah. playbacks. The, the, the animation just isn't there to, to kind of mm. do it justice. But it is interesting how it, that could even be used as a sort of previous tool for, for, for fights in an actual John Wick <laughs> game, uh, film. The other thing it showed me, mm. even when I did play, once I got the hang of things and I knew what the rules were at least, uh, <laughs> my most climactic mm. fight so far, the one that warns you is going to be, this is going to be a big, tough fight. Uh, <laughs> in the replay, you could just watch John Wick 
walk behind like a tea trolley and then crouch and then just wait. Yeah. <laughs> Every single person has to come around the tea trolley because you cannot wow. shoot through the tea trolley. Or that, yeah, mm. this is what I was going to say. Is that I mean, you might find as the number of enemies increase later that throwing your gun is, is generally inadvisable <laughs> because unless you're really obviously just out of bullets, but. Um, you, you, there's, you're often surrounded by people and they, maybe four people might even have like a shot on you and you need to then kind of dive out of the way and around scenery. I find it very difficult to read, uh, what's going to be occluded, uh, yeah. in the environment. I find that very difficult. Um, but also, uh, it doesn't, it does break down into a little bit of kind of Benny Hill stuff yeah. or, mm. or, you know, the corridor of death thing where you just yeah, back yeah. around a corner, you've got a full clip. Pom, 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 pom. And then when they drop out. their weapons right next to you, so you can get that really easily as well. Yeah. Um, th- th- there are bosses as well. Um, and uh, bosses, for some reason, you can't hit uh, with good bullets because they're too <laughs> fast. Wow. Um, they've got too much focus. So you need to bring down their focus by body slamming them. So <laughs> basically you need to do, you need to close the distance, make melee attacks, and then uh, for some reason they're more vulnerable to bullets. Um, uh, I find those a bit of a slog because often enemies are ordinary enemies are spawning continuously as well. So uh I've died a few times through one of the bosses uh and it just it just felt a bit bit tedious really because the only way to defeat him is is to do something that feels quite unwicked which is just sort of like twatting behind little bits of scenery and then yeah. scurrying round and round and round and trying to you know bop him in the back of the head and then scurrying off again and just that's not it's not John Wick's thing really um it sounds like this system would be a better fit for something like Leon um, where there's much more environmental intrigue and there's this kind of stealth element and you can pop out and assassinate certain characters and then mm. vanish. Um, and you could probably, this system seems like it would authentically replicate a Leon assassination better than it would a John Wick fight, which might be, maybe the ideal John Wick thing is just, uh, a third person shooter like Max Payne, but with loads of quick time close combat moves. And mm. um, you, you chain them together, score attack style, um, and just sort of create a sort of flowing sequence of yeah. gun foo and long range combat. I don't know. I think this is a pretty good facsimile of it when it works. Like mm. it really does feel good when you've, you've outwitted people. It only feels good when, uh, when it's in your favor though, right? It's, yeah. it's one of those games which immediately becomes unlike John Wick the second you fail. And yeah. the failure isn't necessarily on you. It's on the, the random dice rolls sometimes. Right. Like you, you, you have to rely on moving, making you a more difficult target. And sometimes the percentages just don't go in your favor and you get hit. And it just feels kind of crappy then, because mm. then you have a whole bunch of things that you need to do to recover, which take you out of combat in a way which doesn't feel like it satisfies the fantasy. Yeah. But when it works and everything's going in your favor and you're, you know, you're rolling next to somebody and shooting the guy on the stairs and then you body slam this other guy and then you push this dude into a, you know, down a stairwell and then, you know, yeah, it's, it, it feels really good when everything's flowing one thing after the other and yeah. you're succeeding at everything, because that's what the films look like. Mm. Is it like it's such a lethal combat that like um John Wick combat in the films is just highly lethal and highly accurate. Yeah. Um whereas if like people watched the entire Matrix trilogy again recently, and those gunfights rely on everyone being incredibly inaccurate, uh, <laughs> which is probably how guns really are, to be honest. Like uh missing uh, you know, at ranges that should ought to be extraordinary. Um <laughs> uh, but uh the the fun is the bullet hitting a piece of concrete and that flying off in slow motion as someone runs through it. Um, and like that's the Max Payne thing as well. Like, mm. uh, all, I, I love the particle effects of Max Payne for money, for example. So there's briefcases everywhere with money. 
if, if a bullet happens to go through one, you get this uh, really satisfying explosion of it's like a two D sprite that just pops out, I think, and uh, all this money fluttering up and then slowly floating yeah. down again. And and that is a fantasy that video games realise very well. But I don't know how you create a sense of flow in a turn based tactical context um, that actually reflects that highly fantasy thing that isn't fucking Rainbow Six or something. Like it's yeah, I think. Odd. Does uh, has uh, has some pretty stinking writing in it, but I I don't know if it's stinking because it's bad writing or or because it's ex- exactly like yeah, John, John Wick's writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it might just be a really good facsimile of John Wick's writing. Yeah, totally. but I'll I'll see your um, calm the hell up and uh, raise you. <laughs> this is of a boss man. Um, the uncaged bear decided to fight him. Of John Wick, it says. <laughs> it's like it's a little bit of um, Dan Brown, the famous man, looked at the red card. Yeah. I think, you know, <laughs> but, but uh. Yeah, it's uh, I, 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 I really, I, I really, um, I appreciate the things it's doing. I, uh, I do think it's interesting. Mm. I don't know if I'm going to play a huge amount more of it. I will play I a think bit more, but there's, there's a just a a verb that I really want in the game that I don't have, which is you can only roll if you're already crouching, and crouching takes half a second, mm. which feels like a very un-John Wickian thing. It's like, I've got to spend half a second just squatting now. Okay, here I am. Right, now I can do a forward roll. <laughs> yeah. Like, what I want to do is do it, dive. just go from start, yeah, dive mm, yeah, into a forward right, roll. Right, right. And that sort of, I feel like that kind of gameplay could be interesting, where this move both moves me in space and moves me into a new stance. And in this new stance, I have different options. Now, I mean, that that is true in this game. You that can't... might well be a later perk, actually. I mean, some of the perks do seem... Uh like they alter your uh your abilities in fairly significant ways so it sounds plausible that that might be something hmm. later in the game hmm. yeah it'd just be interesting to be like i was in a situation where i was my problem was someone else was shooting me while i was i was about to take this guy down and then uh someone else came on the scene and i realized that this takedown is going to take me too long they're going to shoot me and what i wanted to do was like get them in kind of a human shield kind of position hmm. and then from there there would be a whole new set of verbs for when you're in that situation and as you played the game you kind of learn oh i I want to do the human shield thing and that will let me transition to like, as I push them, I can like vault off the back of them and get behind this car and just have a whole set of like, you know, quite specific, um, verbs that would t- take you into different stances that would all have their own sets of options. On the subject of throwing guns, I have to shout out Borderlands, uh, achievements in this because the whole thing about like a, a type of gun where when it's out of ammo, you just throw it and then you get a new one. That was in Borderlands 2. In Borderlands 3, they've expanded it. So that, uh, almost all of the like interesting guns from that company um, also uh, have some extra perk on how that works. So like there's one where uh, the sort of standard one is you throw the gun and it explodes. So the gun is basically a grenade. Um, then there's like grenade perks on the gun. So it can explode into a cluster bomb of other guns that also <laughs> explode. And then there's one where... Uh, the latest one I've got is, uh, when I throw the gun, it's this like really rapid fire pistol. Uh, and so every, if I was, it, it's 12 shots in like less than a second. And then, uh, when it's out of ammo, I throw it. When I throw it, it turns into a, a massive like red orb that says shoot me on it. And when I shoot that, I get a damage boost for my subsequent shots. <laughs> so every time I throw my gun, I also shoot my gun. <laughs> uh, there's another one, which I haven't tried this yet, but I've just seen it in a description. Uh, when you throw the gun, the gun continues to fire after you throw it. <laughs> so it's just shooting all the time. There's one that I do have, which is a unique weapon. I think it's a perk unique to this weapon, which is when you throw it, the gun you threw becomes a turret and <laughs> it latches onto a surface <laughs> and then intelligently targets enemies. Yeah. And it's like, it's gets critical hits and stuff. <laughs> like it'll go for the head. And then I've even seen it like, uh, when an enemy gets near, it'll just get legs and just walk after it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Shall we do some questions from the questions from the questions? Let us once again brave the questions. Matt writes, 
Dear date at the dough bar. Not so much a question. Well, you've sent his wrong Sorry. email address there. <laughs> but a recommendation. He offers a recommendation. He just watched a great video called What Are Games Like for Someone Who Doesn't Play Games by YouTuber Rasputin. Uh, the video is about Rasputin's unnamed wife playing games for the first time while he watches, deliberately not influencing or guiding her experience. He observes how much of the language of video games is assumed knowledge and what a barrier of entry it can be when someone isn't familiar with the supposed basic video game rules. One of his most interesting points is about how important causality is. Um, he gives this example in The Last of Us, uh, where a petrol station blows up and the player must turn down a side street. Rasputin's wife spots a gap between the buildings and the explosion and makes a beeline for it. The game prevents her from taking this route by having an infected attack and kill her, but this is no relation to the explosion, so she doesn't make the connection. She assumes she was too slow and needs to go faster, <laughs> and so she repeats and repeats and repeats. Um, uh, and the game fails to properly teach that this is the wrong path. Uh, it's an aspect of game design that I've never thought about. Learning from your mistakes is great, but you have to understand what the mistake is first. Is there an example of a time you made a mistake in a game but learned the wrong lesson from it? I have, I do have an example of this. Go ahead. Um, in fact, I think there's probably quite a large number of examples in uh, various Call of Duty games because they are obviously incredibly scripted games, but also incredibly brittle. Like you just need to push mm. slightly in the wrong direction, and the entire thing yeah. comes to a fucking yeah. halt. I remember there's uh, there's some kind of a bit. I can't remember which which one of those games it was. Um, where you're in the jungle and you exit the jungle near a river and you need to get a boat. Um, uh, that's what's, so you need, we need to get a, we need to get a boat is, is the kind of impetus. In fact, there's even maybe a, a mission statement on the screen saying, get in a boat. And there's a boat on the beach, mm. but it's an inert piece of scenery. Right, right. <laughs> and if you go and try and get in that boat, you die continuously. Uh, and I kept, how do trying, you die? You know, there's just people chasing after uh, you and it's, they, I think you you just take damage eventually. You, it's not like there's even people who are specific NPCs who are specifically <laughs> shooting you. I think there's just a kind of increasing damage danger thing. Uh, and I kept on running towards this this fucking boat. I'm like, why can't I push this out of the river? And it turned out there was just like a checkpoint further down the beach, not near a boat. Because <laughs> there was nothing there, it was empty, and you just go to that, and then then it cuts to a oh, cutscene. Oh, fuck's sake, that's rubbish! But that happens all the time in Call of yeah, Duty games. And yeah. cin- I think we've sort of escaped that now to some extent because that era of cinematic shooters. Uh, somewhat gone. I don't know actually, but I have no idea. Remember, that's probably not true. I'm not going to play the new Call of Duty. So there's one in uh, Call of Duty Black Ops, mm. maybe Black Ops Two. I can't remember which of those I reviewed, but whichever one I reviewed, it was in that one because they are the greatest culprits. Really pissed yeah. me off. Um, where you're running along like a, a steel walkway that's kind of along a cliff edge, mm. and I run along it. I'm following some NPCs. They're ahead of me. They're my squad. And as I'm running along and just a rocket hits the walkway and insta-kills me <laughs> with no warning. And I play this section like three times. I'm just always, I'm insta-killed. And eventually I, I figure out the game just expects that I would be further behind these people. And what's supposed to happen is like, this is always going to happen at, at that point when they get there. You just have to be like several, like 10 seconds behind them. This is supposed to happen in front of you and stop you. And it's supposed to be an obstacle in your path. Like, oh no, the bridge is out now and I've got to figure out like, oh, can I do a running jump and, and get right, across right. that way? And I was just, I'm too far ahead of that. I was just too close to the NPCs. And so I was just being repeatedly killed for being too fast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Given that the game sets your max speed and understands yeah. your starting point in the sequence and where you could possibly get to, that seems like an absurd kind of error, really. And that, yeah, that game, that sort of, that and many, many other instances in that game just 
just had that feeling of like, you just want to make a movie, just make the fucking yeah, movie. Yeah, right, right, right. You don't want me to play this. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit uh, where you're, I think you're riding with a Muhajideen, which is slightly alarming uh, in in the context of the current world, yeah. uh, in one of the Black Ops games. And um, uh, you get on a horse on this giant open desert, uh, uh, and uh, you can really only go in one line across this <laughs> desert. If you go off in any other direction, it fucks up. Yeah, so I, the entire thing just kind of grinds to a halt. I think I think my horse just fell halfway through the yes, sand yes. and then got stuck there. I, I know that because like we were work, uh, working on PCGamer.com <laughs> yes. together, and I used that screenshot for every news story <laughs> about this game uh, ever ever since. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was, that was that was one of the uh, real face kicking I gave that game. I uh, deserved, I think. And the um, in these games, there's constant uh, tension between: am I supposed to hold out or am I supposed to push forward? Yeah. Um, mm. That that constantly happens in those games. Am I supposed to just kill everyone? Uh, mm. And they keep on popping out and like going to the same bit of cover, and you yeah, almost have right. to sort of read the meta design. It's like, oh, if they're just going to keep on coming out to those particular positions, this must be an, a sort of AI loop that's happening. Therefore, I should push on, which yeah. is not how you should learn the lesson about where you're yeah, supposed no, to go right. next. I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting that. I mean, obviously, there are lessons that uh, non-gamers need to learn when they play games about the language of games and mm. what to expect. But it, it, these things just as often trip up <laughs> fairly seasoned gamers. <laughs> yeah, right. Especially, yeah. Uh, like, there was a point in in the Call of Duty games where they they switched from the model of infinitely respawning enemies, mm. which would stop respawning when you hit a sort of physical <laughs> checkpoint, yeah. to uh, a finite number of enemies. And I remember that that distinction tripping a lot of people up because they just they didn't know what to expect or mm. you know. And you can run through those games and get, you know, just get between checkpoint to checkpoint to, to you know, just to, to essentially cheat the game because yeah. then the enemies don't spawn if you get to the next checkpoint. Yeah, there was a, a disastrous um, Black Ops 1 or 2 run mm. uh, where one of the le- uh, levels where it was just a YouTube video, of the, the players just didn't shoot. Just walked forward from checkpoint to checkpoint and everyone was just missing him. And all games have fakery like this. Like yeah, Half-Life yeah. 2 has stuff like this where things will, a program's dramatically miss you and set off an explosion that won't kill you. And you know, games, uh, pull down damage numbers when you're close to death to give you this sense that you're really kind of striving and on the verge. Mm, yeah, of, yeah. Uh, um, and that, that fakery is great, but when it's done poorly, it's just really embarrassing. It's like all this money and all this time has gone into creating this facade that mm. isn't even a challenge. It, it doesn't even, creates a sense of excitement that it desperately wants to it's so funny how like this uh every anytime there's a cutscene or like a big villain shows up and does some like mega attack against me or something i always just like sit back in my chair and relax i'm like i'm 100 <laughs> oh. safe here yeah, like, yeah, right. as soon as the control is out of my hands i know for sure i'm fine yeah. nothing bad will happen at all i don't need to think about this at all this is the safest i can be mm. <laughs> and the scene is trying to tell me this is the most danger you've ever this is the <laughs> darkest hour it's the worst <laughs> thing that's ever happened i'm like oh i'm fine <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is a holiday for me <laughs> I think one of the kind of the most corrosive lessons that I learn from games is whenever there's an opportunity for the path of least resistance or there's a cheese I can exploit. Because I find myself almost physically incapable of then engaging properly with the game systems yeah. rather than just cheesing it. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it does make the games then unenjoyable to play, but I still have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> path of least resistance, that's definitely mm. everyone's leaning, I think. I think that's... It's not your fault. I mean, obviously, like, uh, you know, as game designers, uh, are always trying to avoid this. Um, but also, like, the game is asking you to optimize. That's what games do. Yeah, They're like, yeah. hey, yeah, do. Here's, here's the rules. Figure out the best route. And when you figure out the best route, like, okay, I've done it. Great. I, mm. like, I enjoyed that challenge. And now I'm, here's the, my best route. Like, it shouldn't be on you to, to deviate from that. The game should be making you do that. I was talking to uh, Matt Castle, who's been um, doing a, a fairly long-running Let's Play series on Divinity 2. Because mm. I, I finished Divinity 2 last, last year as well, so I was kind of swapping notes. And um, something I didn't realize 
if you're playing on your own, it's there's a party system, and you you there's a lot of things about placement in the environment which make a big difference to how fights go. If you're you know, if you're elevated vertically or you surround enemies, it can be a lot more effective. But you almost never get the chance to do that in the single player game because your party just moves as one, and it's a real ball ache to kind of unhitch the party mm. and move them around to you know where you think an ambush is going to happen, so you get some kind of strategic advantage, and. Uh, combat can be then engaged by one of the characters but then not by the others and so if you link them up again the character who's not in combat might just run across the battlefield to join the <laughs> others and you'll be like no yeah. so you need to be super careful about it so i almost never did it but apparently apparently he's he um he loves doing this and he <laughs> loves it when uh like there's a big uh enemy speech because the speech only engages one of the characters yes, and you can unhinge the rest of your party <laughs> and you just stand like one of your characters behind each of the enemy combatants and then as soon as combat starts you just nobble them <laughs> instantaneously and he says that he does this every time play through. I can, I can see that uh, so Friends writes Dear CNC uh, I've recently become utterly obsessed with the re-release of WoW Classic I've been playing for a good month now. I'm nearly level 60. And I've formed a guild consisting of around 30 to 40 friends, family and colleagues with the aim of eventually progressing through all the endgame content. It's brilliant fun and we're all really, really enjoying it. The only problem for me is that all the other games I usually play have completely fallen by the wayside. As someone who generally enjoys a wide variety of genres and like everyone else has a Steam library full of impulse purchases just begging to be played, the experience of monogamous gaming is something I'd not really considered before. MMOs are probably the genre that encourages this behaviour the most with a focus on long-term progression, huge persistent worlds and social mechanics that encourage people to log in regularly and see their friends. But clearly such communities exist in other genres too. Many people only play Counter-Strike, Call of Duty, Fortnite to the exclusion of virtually all other games. What are your experiences of gaming monogamy? Was there ever a game that you played to the exclusion of others, either on your own or as part of or as part of a community? And if so, how did you balance this with your interests in the wider gaming industry? Kind regards, friends. It's worth pointing out that um, games are specifically designed to do this. So if you're Blizzard and you can create a thing that keeps players in your ecosystem and out of every other company's ecosystem... That is a really good thing and for you because you get to market stuff at them from your different products or you just get to continuously monetize them without your competitors getting in on that money stream. Uh, this is like the idea of the service game, the idea of ever expanding games. All of this is designed to monopolize your time uh, so that you can extract money, but also stop you from engaging with comp competitors' products. It's, it's, I think it's incredibly calculated and cynical way to design games. Um, and, it's effective because I've been playing fucking loads of Destiny. <laughs> um, uh, I say like uh, in my job, like I, you have to be a generalist. You have to have like knowledge of as much knowledge as possible of, of different areas. If you're commissioning stuff, you have to know enough to know who to go to, who to find out who knows what they're talking about, uh, and understand that they're not sort of bullshitting or wrong. Um, but some games do capture you, and for me, it's Destiny at the moment for sure, uh, and that has certainly become like a social space. Uh, especially on like PlayStation Network, where you can just like drop into a uh, a group and you're all on sort of you're all on mic, and I just do this all the time. After come home from the pub, a couple of hours Destiny. Hmm. It's just it's, a, it's I call it the lifestyle game. It's the game that kind of becomes part of your spare time. Uh, not in an insidious way. It's a fucking great game, and it's really good. And it's a really positive experience. But it, uh, games, uh, these games are designed to monopolize your time. I think that's a, a thing you have to think about when you're talking about that type of game. In terms of mono gamers, um, I was going to mention actually. There are some players who just love one series and they've got no interest in gaming more widely. They just love what one particular game gives you. And this is true of a lot of Sims players. It's true of a lot of football manager players. 
where they're, it's, um, the gaming becomes an extension of a real world passion. Um, but their passion isn't for gaming specifically. It's for this one particular fantasy that gaming has helps them to realize. And so the fantasy of being a football manager with all the, the players and the, the ratings and everything, uh, is all they want from gaming. And they're never going to, it's not a, a gateway drug. It's just going to be that one game for them forever. Um, and those, those communities are almost the hardest to access because they're, they don't go and read games websites. They don't go and like, they don't care about anything except this one game they play. And loads of FIFA players like that as well. Hmm. I feel like I probably do this as often as not with games. Like I've just, you know, I'm playing Borderlands 3 right now and not playing anything else. Go um, in. Yeah. I only played John Wick Hex, uh, because, uh, I knew you were going to be talking about Marsh and mm-hmm. I wanted to, but I was going to play it eventually. So I, I figured I'd play it now so I could chime in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if it wasn't for that, I probably would have just stuck to Borderlands 3. And actually that's one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is it kind of pushes me to play something yeah, new right. week because it's kind of, we don't like to talk about the same game every week. Um, but yeah, my natural tendency is just like, once again, gets its hooks into me. That mm. that engagement is both uh, strong and also kind of fragile. Like if I do switch to something else, I'll lose it. Like yeah. if I, if I stop <laughs> yeah. playing Borderlands 3 for a week, I'll probably never go back to it. Yeah, right. <laughs> like mm. they, the hooks are uh, deep but temporary. <laughs> <laughs> I always have this with CRPGs, like uh, mm. you know, pillars, uh, the pillars series, uh, games I should absolutely love. Um, but again, I've got to play something else for a week or review something, and that's is dead to me then after that. Yeah. But I don't think that's the, um, the typical kind of customer experience. Like as a, in this profession, you have to go and play other things all the time. Um, but I think when you're reviewing something like that, you have to think about the person who doesn't have to crunch it out in four days. The person who just returns to it every Sunday morning and just enjoys that world. And will just play that one thing for about four months. That's the, yeah. the kind of the real way people play games of that sort. Yeah. I think, um, for a while, I didn't have an obligation to play new games all the time. Mm. And I was also quite time poor in the time that I could contribute to games. So I found that the sort of onboarding process for new games was, would sop up like the entirety of the time I had to play a game. <laughs> sure. And then, you yeah. know, I'd have, I'd have, oh, maybe a week would pass and I'd be, come back to it and like, I have no idea how this <laughs> game works anymore. And now I'm past the tutorial. It's awful. Um, yeah. so actually having like a CRPG, uh, like Divinity, which I could just come back to and I'd remember, you know, I'd be able to pick up where I left left off, and that did become sort of like a, a mono game for me because mm. it was easy just to to drop back into that. I definitely played Assassin's Creed Odyssey to the exclusion of all else for a long time, um, and I now I finished the main game, but I have the Atlantis DLC, and I do really want to play it. And I started it, and it's gorgeous. And then Control came along, mm. and I played Control to the exclusion of all else for a while, and then I hit uh, like a series of brick walls. <laughs> you can. You can sort of progress in various directions and control, like, uh, and the, my, both my main quest thing and the side quest thing that I want to do both became brick walls for me. One was like a boss fight that I can't do, and the other is just like a regular fight, but I'm coming out of an elevator where I don't have any cover I can get to. Hmm. And both of them would just kick my ass so many times. And the, the way you restart in that game, it, it's not like just at the start of the fight, it will set you back to the last fucking control point, which could be in, mm. in some cases like three minutes traversal away. Oh. Um, mm. and that I just, I, I persevered for a while and I was frustrated. I was angry at it, but I was still replaying and there's enough I like about the game that I was determined to get somewhere with it. And then I meta brain stepped in and said, Tom, you have to stop this. You have to uninstall this game right now because (laughs) you are having an extremely negative experience every single time consistently (laughs) for like two days now. Meta brain says, calm the hell up. (laughs) I used to get me one of those meta brains, I think. So control killed Assassin's Creed and then Borderlands 3 killed control. Um, (laughs) And now I I don't know if I'll go back to Assassin's Creed. Uh, Travis writes, hello. 
Tom F. mentioned Urban Fantasy, which brought to mind the Dresden Files book series. These books came recommended by Patrick Rothfuss, a writer whose work I enjoy. I think none of these, none of these words mean anything to me. Um, <laughs> I read the first two books in the series, and they were completely horrible, tropeful disasters, <laughs> he says. Have any Ouch. of the podders read any further into the series? Does it get better? As it stands, I probably won't find out the answer myself. Thanks, Travis. <laughs> So I have not, but uh, my friend Nina, shout out to Nina, um, did recommend these to me. And she did specifically say the first two are a bit rough. <laughs> it gets a lot better from there. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, your critique of the first two sounds harsh enough. <laughs> I, I don't know that uh, uh, that you will get on with the rest, but I haven't read them myself, so I can't say for sure. Can you not but, just yeah. drop in on one of the later ones or is there... That's what I, that's kind of my inclination. Wikipedia. Nina advised me not to do that. Oh, <laughs> but I am... I considered it because I, but I'll do that with, I w- started watching like Breaking Bad, like season three or something. <laughs> like, sure, I'll just tune into this and just see. It was like a whole season before I realized, oh, that's the guy from Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the classic game thing. It was like, oh, it gets good at 20 hours in. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah what was that? Was, which Final Fantasy was it? Oh, Where people were saying like, Fucking oh, all of them. it was literally 130 hours it's or something. Like- <laughs> and people were like, no, 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 it gets so good. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, it's like, I'm not going to waste 130 hours of my life being miserable. It was 13. Uh, about hour 40, you go to a more open world place and it's fine. <laughs> it's just fine. <laughs> I can't, are there any books where that's been, the, you, you've, you've felt okay getting through the first few books in order to get to the good stuff? No. I guess that kind of happens more with, um, uh, crime writers and things where they're still finding their feet mm. and then the the voice of the character comes through and maybe the third or fourth book more consistency but that, the other I mean, was afraid of being like stuff like Rebus which I remember being quite good from the start but I don't know when, yeah. I, when I picked it up really there's I haven't had that experience but I have had there's some series where I'll just read them because they're super readable like I don't like them I wouldn't recommend them <laughs> they just I don't know check some kind of box or I just want to know what happens next yeah um, and so there's a I guess I'll begrudgingly shout out to the John Milton series. Uh, I can't even name any of the books in the series. They're that forgettable. <laughs> They're extremely formulaic. And there's nothing interesting about them. It's just like a super cool British spy dude who's amazing at everything. And it's written in a very straightforward style, but it's just really addictive. And I read like eight of the... Oh, sorry. I didn't even read them. I listened to them on audiobook. And it, part of it was that the narrator was good. And so it's just one of those things where I can just have it on in the background and it'll just go. And as soon as one finished, there's another one because there's infinite of these books. Mm. <laughs> and they're all exactly the same. So you know exactly <laughs> what you're getting. <laughs> if you like the last one, you'll like the next one. Yeah, I I, I like trash books. Uh, so there's stuff like Altered Carbon. Um, oh, by yeah. the man who went on to write Crisis 2. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Richard yeah. Morgan, uh, that's his name. And has now been made into a Netflix uh, Yeah, have you uh, seen series. it, Tom? Uh, I have, yes. It's the most male gazy thing I think I've oh, ever seen. The fucking book is as well. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's an accurate translation of that. They had to change some things. So um, in the book, it's the Jimi Hendrix Hotel instead of the sort of 1920s oh. they do. Mm. But obviously, um, Jimi Hendrix uh, estate, estate would not have been too happy with uh, having his name associated visually with Netflix drama. Um, but the, yeah, that was that was sort of just like the book goes to super weird places and the sequels get really bad and weird with women because like, it's about consciousness of being sleeved into different bodies and stuff yeah, like yeah. that mm. um, which is actually a really good idea for a detective show it's yeah. a really good, it's really idea good. For a I didn't the weird thing about that is there's loads of I mean there's really lots of obvious gender stuff that could be talked about there I mm. don't feel like the the show approach that in any kind of sensible way no. so like your your true identity is like in your neck or something isn't it yeah so it's called the stack and it lives yeah. at the base of your brain is there, a, is there like a special term for when you kill someone it's like a true death basically okay. um and so if you shoot someone point blank in the back of, it's like a 
an atrocity to do that. Yeah. Is it, it's, like podding and Eve. <laughs> like podding and Eve, exactly, yeah. Um, it's fine to shoot up their flesh body. It's relatively okay. Like, sure, there's some pain, but they'll just get, the rich ones will just get re-sleeved somewhere else and yep. live on. Um, but stack death is like a, a massive atrocity in the world. It's like when someone shoots you in the sleeve in our world. It's like, <laughs> ow, but yeah, I mean, okay. What the fuck, dude? Dick move, but you know, it's fine. My life goes on. Um, yeah, but you know, no. I don't know what my point was really. Just it's a uh, drag off. Don't read those. I, don't know. Yeah. I know the first book's fun, but yeah. Just go to me. I do have a practical recommendation for the reader. Also, a Nina recommendation. Um, Hard Magic by, I think, I want to say Larry Ray Correa. Um, which is a, also an urban fantasy thing. Um, and it's very, I can't, so I can't speak to the Dresden books. I haven't read them, but, uh, Hard Magic is very like hard boiled noir. Um, in modern day, but there's, there's magic and the magic is very stylishly presented. There aren't like warlocks and wizards and, and elementalists and stuff. There's the main characters are heavy and a heavy is just someone who can kind of control gravity in certain limited ways and just make himself like more dense or more, hmm. um, or increase the gravity or lower the gravity on himself. And I think a crackler is someone who can control electricity. Mm. And it has these very, like, uh, evocative names for each... Uh, Roll that name again, names. I would say. You don't like that one? <laughs> I like that one. Um, Fizzman. Yeah. Fizzman. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's much better. Zippy chap. Zip zap. <laughs> electricity Jones. <laughs> Actually, it's a little bit Bioshock in that way. And, and the way... The thing that both those things do is that, like sort of feels this world has been lived in for a while and people have come up with their own terminology of this mm. stuff. It's not sort of mm. coming in from D&D Central. <laughs> right, Here right. are your standard terms for the classes. <laughs> yeah. Mark writes, with the often bizarre, nonsensical game premises and plots, if you could ask one game protagonist a question about what the hell they're doing <laughs> or why, who would it be? And what question would you ask? Many thanks for all the pods. Mark from Mank. Well, now I kind of want to ask John Wick, <laughs> A, why are you throwing so many guns? But also B, like, it really kills a lot of people in those movies and that, like, really kills them. Because that's his, like, that's his signature thing. It's yes, like, stack death. Where if, like, person of interest, uh, TV series is all about, like, the guy uses guns, but he tries to take people out non-lethally or shoot them in the legs first and try mm. and just, like, get them out of the equation as best he can. He's right for the brain power. John Wick he? really mm. just fucking in the chest and then in the head. Absolutely. Yeah, I like if the you... fact that your default in this game is to shoot people twice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> double tap them in the yeah, yeah. of an actual assassination, yeah. He re- really seems committed to permanently killing them. <laughs> it's not just about self-defense. They have to die. And yet there's hundreds of them. He can't know them all personally. <laughs> I guess, so I guess my question would be like, have you considered the non-lethal options? <laughs> there are taser guns available for short range. <laughs> I want to ask Gordon Freeman, like, do you really care about science? <laughs> what have you, you forgotten physics? What, what was you, what was exactly your specialism? What, what, are you, what are you in this for? Like, <laughs> yeah. is it curiosity? Is it just sort of carried along by the tides of fate? What, what do you really care about, Gordon? That is a weird guy. Because he, he has a history, like there's, yeah, right. you know, you can open his locker in Half-Life 1. Um, he seems to have a life before this and he's a, he's a physicist and he works, you know, he's had this job for a while. He's mm-hmm. like, it, he does do physics at this place. And then one day <laughs> when it turns out there's enemies there, he just becomes combat expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never says another word <laughs> in the rest of his life, but murders <laughs> everything he meets. I want to ask, uh, Max Payne, you okay, hun? <laughs> are, are you, this monologue thing, this sort of talk, the, the voices, just go see, uh, do you want to go 
Go see someone about it, professionally. <laughs> Just take care of yourself, man. <laughs> it's cold out there in New York in this infinite winter. I would ask the goose. <laughs> <laughs> what is your end objective? <laughs> what is your long-term plan here? I'd ask the goose. Death to the West. <laughs> the in the surprisingly only voiced line in the game. <laughs> Uh, I'd ask, yeah, I'd ask the guys what D and D alignments are you <laughs> on the morality, morality scale. I feel like chaotic neutral. <laughs> chaotic neutral is just literally nothing matters, isn't it? It's yeah. just chaos for the sake of it. Is the Joker? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, the obvious question to uh, Gordon Freeman is why haven't you joined a startup in Silicon Valley which uh, chooses people's clothing for them? <laughs> <laughs> so a deep cut to the Discord community. Uh, talking of which, uh, thanks to our Discord community for being awesome. Uh, you can find our Discord community, which is linked on our website, which is creatingcrowbar.com. That's all the questions we have time for. If you want to send us another question, you can send us a question at questions at creatingcrowbar.com. Or you can tweet us at creatingcrowbar, and you can listen to this podcast on youtube.com slash creatingcrowbar. Thanks to Patreon. Patreon are cool. Well, maybe not the company, but the people who back us. Uh, that's patreon.com slash creating crowbar, I guess. Yeah. And you can follow us individually on Twitter, a hateful platform full of shit. (laughs) I'm Marsh Davis, M-A-R-S-H-D-A-V-I-E-S. I, Tom Senior, I'm at PCG Ludo L-U-D-O. I, Tom Francis, I'm at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. I had to spell that name. Uh, to someone on the phone today and it took about seven attempts and <laughs> I had to resort to a mixture of like the US military alphabet Panther, and alpha random words I keep N is the one that keeps tripping me up because I keep wanting to say like Piccolo F- uh, Echo <laughs> <laughs> if you say like N for night yeah but there's also might and oh, N sounds like M and yeah. so it's like you've just nasty. You haven't helped anything <laughs> Piccolo, but also echo, must- <laughs> Panther Alpha Nasty <laughs> The alpha. <laughs> My, Pan, name Pan, Pam. Pam. <laughs> My name is just Pam. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, on that note, we say that's, that's been it. Right. Right.